Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the Polarizer Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Alert. Alert is spelled A-L-L-E-R-T, and it's the ultimate app for food allergies if you travel around. It's uh, it's in the iOS app store right now. Uh, what it does, it creates a allergy flashcard on the fly and it supports 14 the 14 most common allergies which cover over 95% of all allergy cases and it can generate a allergy flashcard in 44 different languages so if you're allergic to peanuts and dairy and fish or soy or mustard or celery or eggs yeah a lot of people are allergic to eggs too if you go to uh, the Netherlands it can uh, generate a message for you saying in Dutch, "Kijk uit, ik ben allergisch voor pindas and melk and vis and blah 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 blah." That uh, that's what it would sound like if people would read it. But it also does uh, Japanese and Chinese and Greek and Hebrew and and uh, yeah, forty four languages is a lot. It's pretty much uh, the entire planet. And if you have a vegetarian diet, there's also a option for that. So you can, um, besides your allergy, show a message that you don't eat meat or fish or um, animal products in general by choice. Download Alert in the iOS App Store today and you'll be more comfortable traveling around with your food allergy. I've I've used it personally around Asia. I'm, I'm personally allergic to uh, peanuts and dairy. Peanuts is especially a tough one when you're in Southeast Asia. That app really helped me out there. I went to some pretty rural places in Thailand and uh, Indonesia. And uh, yeah, people didn't speak a word of English there, but I just showed them the, the output message and they knew exactly what to do and what not to do. So it's pretty fucking cool. Alert in iOS App Store, A-L-L-E-R-T. And this show is also brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is a health and fitness juggernaut dedicated to delivering total human optimization to its vast consumer base of athletes, thinkers, fitness gurus, and entrepreneurs. Through a wide array of products and supplements, Onnit combines cutting-edge science, earth-grown nutrients, and time-tested strategies to help people reach peak performance. Whether you are climbing mountains or biking down them, building businesses or closing sales, chasing personal records in the weight room or running a marathon, Onnit is the brand you want in your back pocket. As one of the fastest growing health and fitness companies in the world, Onnit refuses to bring anything but the very best to market. Whether it be energy bars, protein shakes, creatine or their flagship product Alpha Brain, Onnit's diverse lineup of products and supplements are backed by science and research. You can save up to 10% off by visiting onnit.com and using the promo code POLARIZER. That's P-O-L-A-R-I-Z-E-R. And go to the polarizer.com to sign up to the newsletter so you never miss an episode. So you uh, sign up there, put your email in there, and uh, you'll get an email every time uh, there's a big update on the website. And uh, I promise I will never spam you because I hate that shit too. So no spam. Go to thepolarizer.com. There's all kinds of cool shit in there, good articles, background information, and photos for a lot of podcasts. So that is that. 
My guest today is a very good friend of mine. His name is Octavius, and I met him in 2011 when I went to America as an exchange student. I was in my early 20s then, and uh, was just a kid. And uh, yeah, our paths just crossed and um, became very good friends. It, uh, started with music. Uh, I always play guitar. Whenever there's an open mic, I go there and join in and make friends pretty quickly. And Octavius was one of those guys, and we just kept in touch for uh, for years calling uh, giving each other a call a couple times a year and when i got married in 2018 i invited him to my wedding and that was the first time i saw him in seven years and now we're doing this podcast he's a he's a very unique individual he's he's better at telling the story than i'm doing right here the last thing he did was he had a nice house for himself and a good job and he just gave it up sold all his stuff and basically went voluntarily homeless, took the train to California, and he went there to just spread the positive messages. Yeah, we talk about all kinds of interesting stuff. He, uh, we, we talk about, uh, he also went to jail for a couple of years. That was very interesting. We, we talk about that too. Generally, it's a very positive, interesting, cool conversation. I really enjoyed doing this one. Went for a very long time. And I hope you enjoy it too. Give it up for Octavius. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. All so, right. Uh, let's do it, man. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> hey man, uh, Octavius, how you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? doing I love good. Dick. <laughs> Can I say that? Is yeah. that okay? I love Dick because I do. Oh, that's funny, man. That's uh, <laughs> well, it has has a different meaning than uh, what most people think. Uh, I think because my name's Dick, so that's uh, <laughs> and I and I love you, so I love Dick, and I yeah. love Octavius, man. <laughs> Not all dicks, just this particular dick. Yeah, yeah that still sounds so kind of weird. How you doing, man? How you... <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. How um, are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. Always good to talk to you. Well, it started how long have you been now? It's been since um, 2011. That's, wow. Uh, that's when... Uh, this is one of the... Yeah, I was going to say, this is one of the longest relationships I've actually had. Seriously, you're, you're, you're one of the longest relationships I've, that I've had in my life. Really, man? Yeah, serious. Yeah. Um, you always I, I been grew a good up friend. all over the place. Yeah. 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 yeah, dude. Well, back then, 2011, I was exchange student at UWF and I was a big fan of uh, music. I played guitar and uh, one of the main reasons why I was so excited to come to the States was because of the music. So one of the first things I did yeah. was even before I uh, found a car, I bought a guitar and Took it to a jam session, open mic, and that's where I ran into you, and we've been really good friends ever since. I know, man. You were such a kid being there. You were just a baby. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're still younger than I am, though. I was just thinking back at the time. You know, what is that? Eight years ago? Yeah, yeah. Some like eight years. I uh, mean, and well, almost nine yeah, now were, because because that was in uh, January of uh, 2011. Yeah, true. So it's like nine years. 
And wow, just to think, I mean, when I met you, you were young, such a young man, but our spirits connected. And so it was like, it's just amazing that so much time factoring the age didn't matter. And it still doesn't. It's just thinking about the fact of, you know, I met you then and now you're a married man. And, yeah. And, yeah, and, I haven't yeah, met my just, wife yet, but when I, uh, when we hung out, man. Yeah, you yeah. didn't have a wife yet. You didn't have a fiance. No, I didn't even have a girlfriend, man. I tried. Yeah, I know, but, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of oh, yeah. A lot of crash and burn, yeah. Oh, yeah, a whole but lot. Yeah, was, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy that, you know, you had all those crash and burns because it opened up your way for your for your wife now. And for all sure. Those, yeah. yeah. And all the other stuff has gotten away, so. But, yeah, anyway, yeah, man, um, since 2011, um, at Seville Quarter. Yes, in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Yeah, at Seville Quarter. Sorry about the dog. He's, <laughs> somebody's walking by the yard. And he doesn't appreciate it. That's a good, that's a good uh, guard dog. You got yeah, there. yeah, very good. He's very good. <laughs> okay. That did help. Nope. <laughs> no, usually. Ash. All right. Okay. All right. All right, uh, here we go. And and back then you were uh, you were in a band. You were in. Uh, um, I was with um, I was with this funky reggae band, man. I'm telling you, Vibe Ire. They were from. Yeah, and, uh, you guys were great, man. It's a pretty big man, band I, I too. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like we were four piece, man. We we're like um, it was a it was a four piece, and it was tight in the sense that each of us came from various genres as far as people classify music, but we came together and created this sound and this vibe, man, that, that still resonates to this day. I spoke with someone just last night that was talking about how they still have our songs on their, you know, on their phone, their laptop, and they still play those songs. And so it's kind of, kind of amazing that, you know, what life holds and what life brings and does and, and the beauty that's in it, you know, and, and every moment, being an opportunity to, to experience just beauty that you wouldn't expect or either that was, that's greater than your expectations. So, yeah. And you were part of that. Yeah. You were part of that. That time in, in life back in 2011. Yeah. That was a rebirthing, I think for all of us that came together at that time, man, everyone seemed to evolve into or start to recognize who and what they were supposed to evolve into and to be. So it was, Beautiful time, man. Yeah, yeah, it was. It certainly had a big impact on me. My stay in uh, in the U.S. there and everything I, uh, you know, all the people I met, including you, and uh, the things I experienced there was it was just great. Yeah, but yeah. Vibari, you guys, uh, you had uh, Chris Ozuna on drums, who's like this insane. Ah, oh, Chris. Chris yeah. actually came along later. Um, we started Vibari. I think it was 2000, in the 2007, 2008. And we, our first drummer, and still used to call him Jeremy King Cole, this kid who was this hip hop funk type of uh, R&B drummer. Yeah. But he had that one drop, that reggae one drop, and um, he was our original drummer with Jeremy Cole. And then we had Derek Haynes, who, uh, you know, our brother, he passed away in 2000, I want to say 13, 12 or 13, hmm. uh, unfortunately, you know, just 
natural causes and all. It just, I guess, uh, but it was a time in which a big transition was going on and, and the band, you know, it was a time we were just starting to, we were getting a lot of attention at that time and, and Derek, you know, was a part of that. And, but, you know, due to his passing and everything kind of slowed down, but the band didn't stop there. We just, uh, that's when we acquired Chris, Chris Azuna. Yeah. And this guy's insane, man. Jesus. You can yeah. actually check YouTube and find some clips of him playing, you know, on his own. And I, I work with Vibe Irie, and he just brought a, he brought a sound to the band, like everyone does, you know, with music. You change an element, they may play the same notes or play the same song and the chord changes, but yet their vibe, in essence, seeps through, you know, so therefore you end up, you can vary the sound and the quality and and the impact of a song just by changing the members, even though you're playing the same song and the same notes. I yeah. find that fascinating. Yeah, he was, I find it fascinating. He was such a, he's such a tight drummer and just a savage, man. <laughs> savage, yeah, he's yeah. a beast, man. Yeah. I, we keep in touch. I talked to him not long ago, a couple months ago, and uh, we're talking about um, possibly going to do another project. So this is kind of brand new. Cool. Um, matter of fact, our guitar player, remember Billy Parker? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, he was Billy, just crazy, uh, too. Hell, yeah, gosh, yeah. He yeah, also man, to he LA, really, right? Yeah, he's in LA, and when yeah. I got when I first came out here on this journey, I'm on this uh, this whole life journey, I was in LA for a little while, and we uh, we hooked up, and we got together. Um, we haven't had a chance to play together yet, but yet he's only a few hours down um, the coast from where I am here in um, California. So we're looking at getting together again. But yeah, we hung out for a while, man, and and kind of reminisced about the Bye Bye days and cool. And contacted everybody, man, from the band, really. And I don't know. I feel like music will continue, and and that experience with Bye Bye Re, I feel like you know it, it was just so great, man. It really was. And I don't feel like it's over in some sense. I don't know why. Hmm. I have for years. Ever since the band parted, there's been this this underlying simmer that you know. A, a reuniting or, or a reunion type of thing or just to get together to jam is going to happen. I just feel that. You know? Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. I really do, yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll come over there and uh, do a show. Where are you, where are you located now? You're I, in, I'm in uh, in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Rotterdam, that's right. Yeah. Okay, you are in the Netherlands. Okay, yeah. Yeah, one oh, hour south. You never know. Bye-bye, Ari, in Rotterdam, man. That would be so hot, man. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Amsterdam and Fiverr, that would be a good combination, too, I think. Yes, uh, yeah, I yeah. believe so. I think so. <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah, man. Um, we, um, so, yeah, this whole thing, I'm being staying in touch with you, man, and, and still, you know, vibing as we always have. Your energy has always been one of positivity to I. And... I don't try to explain it or figure it out. I just know that there's this connection, and I appreciate it, man. Yeah, same here, man. Like we've been, we've been uh, just uh, giving each other a call every every couple times a year, you know, and and then we didn't. Yeah, yeah. And then um, last year was the first time we uh, saw each other again in like seven years. I know that was my that wedding. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I appreciate and thank you so much for the invitation. And I'm just so happy and blessed that I could actually be there because thank you for that coming, experience. Man. Yeah, oh man, that was beautiful. I was just, I was happy to just really be asked and and be a part of it. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. And then being able to actually manifest that in the being there with you, man, from 
it was just amazing. It really was, and it was just so loving. Everybody was so welcoming, and the invitations, and, and just the just the, the fellowship and the togetherness of that whole experience. You know, your wedding and everyone, your family and all your friends, all these different personalities and individuals. But it was just so comfortable. Yeah, you hung out with uh, with Roderick and uh, Mickey. <laughs> yeah, Mickey. Oh man, that's what I'm, yeah, man. It was just. Those you two guys, love you like, too, man. <laughs> and yeah, I love them just instantly. And that's the same vibe I said when I got with you when we met. It was that type of vibe to where there was this this connection of spirit yeah. that actually you know bonds us more so than an introduction. I believe you know, like this whole me being in California came from the fact of having this this energy, this vibe that that drew you know that drew my whole being to the west coast even though i was living in texas yeah t know. tell me about that because uh oh, last, wow, last yeah. year you you traveled from uh kayleen texas is that the place yes kayleen yes from kayleen texas central texas yeah where's where's that that's i'm um, actually about 45 minutes from austin okay oh that's also austin, a good, texas, yeah. good place for music yeah exactly there's a lot of texas actually is full of all kinds of music Texas is such a music state. It really is. Austin is recognized as music capital and, and, and all these things. Yet, um, just the whole state and the songwriters and the talent there, it really is. A lot of artists come out of Texas and oh, yeah. a lot of artists will be continuing to come out of Texas because the place is just phenomenal with music and, and sounds and venues. Yeah. You know, so. Well, Texas yeah, is Texas. great, man. I, I love that place. Yeah. It's, uh, I went to Texas, like I said, unknowing, but I learned to love Texas, man. I mean, my heart is, it bleeds a little bit of Texas. It really does. My, I have family still there, my babies and grandbabies, and they're still in Texas. And like I said, leaving Texas, like I said, this journey here to, to California. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, you, you told me a little bit about that uh, yesterday. So one day you decided to. Uh, well, it wasn't so much a decision. It was just. This voice, this this feeling, this this urge, this calling, if it were, you know, if I may, it was a calling to just to let go of everything that I had. I mean, tangibly, materialistically, and truly go and and rise to the next level of a binary existence, you know, um, of who I'm supposed to be. You know, all the things I've done in the past were great, and I had some experiences, and it was wonderful. Like, you know, speaking of vibe, I read all the music and places and people. But yet, I believe that each of us, you know, within our spirit, there's more than what we, what we give sometimes on a daily. And we have more of a purpose, if it were. Not so much occupation-wise, but purpose-wise. And I'm just one that has come to believe and trust in and have faith in following the pursuit of, of of one's purpose. And so that's what's happened. I woke up, well, I, had, I meditate and pray, you know, daily. And um, through that, I just kept getting this, like a vision of me leaving Texas where, you know, I thought I wouldn't on this basis, you know, cause my babies are there, my grandbabies and, and, my, and my family. And, um, but yet everything in my life in Texas at the time was starting to show that this, I had done everything I could there, you know, and there was more for, for I to do. And the only way to figure out and know how and what 
I'm supposed to fulfill is to let go of everything that I was holding on to. I mean, I, I was I was working good. I was working as a DJ. You know, I still played music once in a while, but I was a full-time house DJ, a great salary, you know, and, and living nice. And um, but this calling came, and all of it got let go, you know. And so I left Texas with a duffel bag and a backpack. And a, and a steel drum, my steel drums, and um, and and headed west because the, the calling was saying just go west till you hit water, and I was like okay, <laughs> and that and really I know, <laughs> um, but yet it's I just know just through experience and witnessing that each of us there's something. We all have a calling or a purpose or, or, or a reason, and we get called upon for that. You know, we get, you know, there's something that you wake up and you know there's something more you're supposed to do, you can do, or you need to do, yet we second-guess it or we find reasons not to, or we're just afraid of the unknown. And over the last decade or so, I've been taking sabbaticals and journeyed out, you know, for months and weeks at a time and come back home. But this time, there was nothing to go really back to. That's why I had to get rid of all material things, furniture, cars, house, everything. So you, so you didn't and drive west? You, uh, you no, no. I, actually, I took a train. Oh, the train? I got on a, a one-way train from Temple, Texas to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. That's... And, uh, yeah. How, what was that like? What was that like? Like, did did you stop along the way, or did you just? Well, yeah, they had, they had several stops along the way, and, and every stop, I would get out and explore if we had time, you know, and make those connections. Because part of this whole journey is it's a leveling up, if it were, and um, so leveling up to the next level of Octavius's existence. Right. You know, after playing music and being in front of all the hundreds of people and then all the attention, that's beautiful, and I'm thankful and grateful. But yet, I'm supposed to be giving more or creating more, so that that positive vibe, that love vibe, will blossom and continue, especially in in the midst of all that goes on in the world. And right. people get distracted to the negative. Yet, I I am supposed to be a beacon of positivity, you right. know. And I don't take it, you know, personally, and, and take credit for all of it or, or boast about it, but. Uh, yet I should say, um, and I faith and knowing that the Almighty, a greater being than I, that directs who I'm supposed to be, is allowing that I can do this and be have enough faith to not worry about the uh-ohs and the where am I going to sleep or what am I going to eat and, and what about money and what about all these things, which I, I understand. I get it. I'm not ignorant to that and I'm not blinded by some, you know, holy crusade. It's not that I am or have come to realize that 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 Jah has put a spirit on I that it seems to give something positive to people. You know, and, and it's I can attest to that. Well yeah. <laughs> well I appreciate that. And that's what I'm saying, you know, you know every time I talk like to you this, I got a smile on my face, man. And that's it. And I had to come to the truth of realizing that I'm not saying I'm more special, but I realized the special quality about Octavius 
and being able to bring positivity and smiles and, and, and good vibes to people. You know, from being on stage all those years that I have been and still do at times, it seemed to make people happy. And this part of this journey and the mission of why I went west and to, to L.A., as I was saying, I know I'm getting distracted, but I went to L.A. and was there homeless, you know, which was part of it. We're kind you know, of by, by choice, right? Like you just went there. And not, like I said, it wasn't so much choice. It was, to, I made the choice to follow the calling. So yes, by choice. Wow. And That's being intense. out there, like I said, yeah, oh brother, it's intense. But, and here's the beautiful thing about it, truly Dick, and it's not, I'm not some super hero or Superman or, or it's just when you truly, truly have faith, and you know that you know that you know that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, it seemed that trouble and harm and, and all those things that could normally people are afraid of encountering, you know, physically, it's not a concern. And I have not, and I've been able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as it, as it says, but I've been able to walk through areas and through places and situations where if I had that fear or if I didn't have the confidence and the, and the, and the, and just the faith and the strength to realize I'm on a mission of something that is going to be beneficial to not, I, I'm not trying to gain anything. I'm spreading and, and, and passing along a positive message and love. And in doing so, the world can't harm you, you know, hmm. the world can't, getting your way. There's nobody who I've been confronted. I had knives pulled on me on this whole dirt and other dirty, but people pull knives and wanted to hurt me just because, but yet they couldn't something within them, something protecting eye, whatever it was there, they got stopped in their tracks and they go away frustrated. And moments like that really, they build your confidence and go keep continuing forward. Right. But also it, it, it lets you know that yes, I'm supposed to be doing this. Otherwise, why would these these incidents seem to get out of the way? You know, and every stone that I need to step on seems to be laid as I get there. You know, and I don't know what's but next. Well, that, but having that. Go yeah. ahead. Well, that's um, like uh, Roderick is also kind of like that. You know, like he uh, he also travels all around the place. Yeah, he also just wanders into, he went to New York a couple of years ago and he just wandered into some bad neighborhood by himself, met some dudes on the street who initially wanted to, to fight him. And then he was like, nah, man, let's just be friends. And, uh, and then, yeah. and then, and then they took him, took him with them into the night and they went to like some underground nightclub somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, same thing has happened. I've had the same experiences. I've had. Um, families open up their home and, and allow for I to sleep there or to feed, you know, feed me. And just because of the energy that that I was displaying, that I allowed to flow through, you know, the love, the true, real love, not the I love you and oh, happy birthday, I love you and Merry <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get it. But yeah, I believe that, or I'm, I'm, I know this and I, and I recognize that as fleshly beings, we get distracted from our, the, the primal spirit of ourselves that naturally wishes to connect with one another, yes. that needs to connect with one another, you know, 
and have that fellowship and that, that camaraderie and that, that love, you know, that doesn't come from having to do something, but just for being, you know? Mm. And so that is, that is the purpose. That is what, that's the only thing I'm, that's the focus of this whole journey. And my whole life, when I look in retrospect, has been building towards that. You know, I've always just, as a being, been one of peace. I just, conflict and unnecessary violence and, 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 and headbutting and just, is unnecessary and, uh, and, and really accomplishes nothing. Right. It really doesn't, except for you giving your opinion, I give my opinion, and then we both got our opinion said, and sometimes you come to a balance and sometimes you don't based on some little, and I, I just notice how just ridiculous it is. Yeah, most and of the time people the, just get more angry at each other. Right, yeah. because somebody won't agree with them, you know? Yeah. And I've come to learn, and I used to be kind of that kind of a, person in a sense, you know, I, I wouldn't come out and maybe have a outward con, you know, conflict, but inside I'd muster all this, you know, grudges. I'd have grudges. And when I'd see you again, I would treat you differently based on that grudge that I've established based on the fact that you didn't see my point the way I saw it. So therefore I can't, you know, yeah. deal with you. And and I had to get over myself, you know, really. And it came to just totally getting over myself. Well, not a whole lot of people can do that. <laughs> well, all of us can do that. That's the fact. That's the point. That's why I'm out on this mission and traveling across with nothing. I'm still basically homeless, you know, but along this journey and because of the purpose that I'm serving, other spirits recognize the spirit that I'm carrying and they, re- they, they wish to, to assist in some way. They want to be a part of helping, of, of ensuring, of, of, of enlightening something. And as I said, when I got to California, was in LA, you know, kicking around for a while, and people were following the journey, which if those still want to go back and check the whole journey from when I started Temple, it's hashtag um, Babylon in Babylon. And uh, it shows from when I left you're on um, Facebook, right? That's on Facebook. Like, on Facebook, yes. Yeah. I'm on Facebook, just Octavius Wright, you know. Just okay. um, a W R I W R I G H T. O C T A V I U S W R I G H T. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll link has, to that uh, on, the, on the website and in the show notes. Yeah, do that, man. Yeah. Um, hashtag Babylon, B A B L I N N I N, Babylon, B A B Y L O N. And the whole journey of every. I would go on daily at that point when the very first start, it was a constant babbling because that was what I was supposed to do. Cause I've gone on other journeys, but I barely took a picture because I was supposed to focus on doing what I was supposed to do. Hmm. Um, and this one, when I was called, I really knew that I started giving away my personal property and selling off things. I was like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> this is really happening. Oh man, I was in Texas and I was in this, I was standing in this gated, apartment complex and beautiful place with, you know, a spa and pools. I mean, I was living really comfortably and I became complacent without even knowing it. Cause that's what, that's what the spirit came. And when I got the whole vibe to go West was because of the fact that I had gotten comfortable and as much, and still I was doing, you know, things at the schools and drum circles in the parks and, and giving positive vibe. I was becoming more, just relaxed. I was kind of like a, a, a pond, a, a serene pond. Everything was peace. Everything was wonderful as far as 
you know, I had my own spirit, mm-hmm. but yet I was not still venturing forth and, and doing more. Right. I was doing a lot, but I could do more and I wasn't. And so therefore things around me literally started changing, you know, at the, um, the house gig I had DJing, they, the budget had some meeting and budget cuts were being made. So my hours got cut, my days got cut back a little. And I started noticing this pattern of slowly, they're going to have to put me on pause, you know, and tell me, you know, we're gonna, and, and it happened. Um, to be honest, it got to the point where I went from five nights to four nights to two nights. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. And I had some savings saved up. So I started living off of basically that. Mm. And I was taking side gigs, you know, doing stuff. And I was, I was doing what I do. Right. I was hustling like I do. And, but yet in doing that, what I was doing was creating an environment for I that was going to keep me right there doing the same thing and trying to get back into doing the same thing, just going in a circle. Right. And I had to be slingshotted out of that existence so I could do more. That still exists. You know, like I said, my family's still in Texas. So I have love for Texas and all the people there and they know it. And I stay in touch with people still. I feel connected. But yet I do, I'm now I know I'm on a mission. I have a purpose and something to do right. and be a part of the awakening of many and also the, the assisting and helping to guide many in their realizing that I, there's more to me than what I'm doing. Right. Well, you I know, think that's a, that's a good goal. Know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, yeah, and, it, and it, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the payoff, you know, it's, I can use that word. I'm seeing people realizing, yes, I've had this feeling and sharing the journey that I've taken, I'm taking has, from what I find, has been an inspiration to some, you know, and, and that's part of what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to inspire, enlighten, and to uplift. That's all I'm supposed well, to that's, do. That's a good you motto. Know? <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and it's part of uh, my, my, my website. If you go to my website, <laughs> Positive vibes, um, rhythm.com. That's all that's there. You know, kind of my manifesto is there. Positive vibes, um, rhythm.com. Yes. Okay. D-I-B-E-Z for vibes. It's right. positive vibes, rhythm.com. Cool. Um, but what, what, but with that, what yeah, was your, ahead. um, like when, when you got off the train in, uh, in, it was in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. 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 I'm listening. Okay. What what did that first uh, day look like? Like you, uh, you know, you. you it was beautiful. Yeah. I was I was gung ho. I was ready to go. I got to L.A. I got to you the was Grand Station. Make some friends in on the LA. train, or do what now? Or did you make some friends on the train, or? Uh... Well, yes, I'm in the, on the hashtag Babylon Babylon. There's a lot of people I've met along the way. Conversations. Um, really, I was. I was actually doing what I was called to do the whole journey. That's what this whole, this whole, our life is a journey. And along I and I journey, um, I've come to realize that the purpose of the journey I've been blessed with is to help to encourage others, to, to uplift others, to enlighten others, to enrich others, how Octavius can, you know, right. you know, I'm, I'm no, you know, I'm no scholar and PhD, you know, uh, I, I do what I do. I know music. Right. I, I, well. And I know, well, thank you. Um, and I know, I know people's spirits. If, if I can be so, you know, modest to say, oh, you know, but really I'm, I, I, I very humbly say that feeling, that ability to, to, to sense people's 
emotions and feelings, like an empath. And since I was young, that's been happening. And people have gravitated to to eyes since I was a kid. I mean, whether it was for just wanting to be around me because they made them happy or I made them laugh or I gave sound advice even though I had no idea what I was talking about. But yet, was able to be able to, to talk to people right. and to not just talk to people, but talk to their spirit to help them to see the, the good inside them, you know, the sunshine inside of them, the rainbows and butterflies inside of them, yeah. you know, really the beauty within themselves. You know, I just, every individual I've ever met, truly I see beauty within them and how they display themselves on the outside is up to them. And I can't do anything about that. Yet when I when I'm in the presence of those who who are willing to or wanting to or need to or are called to or it's time to listen or feel what it is someone's trying to tell you or give you, then those are the people that I seem to have the connection with and their spirit wakes their flesh up. And that's, that's the purpose and, and the mission that I've been called is not to try to convince people of anything. I'm not trying to lead any type of following. I am to plant the seed within others that will grow into them realizing how wonderful they are. Right. How awesome they are. I get the compliments all the time and I appreciate it and I humbly receive them of being awesome and wow, you're so great and you're so this and you're so... And I get it. It's because I am being Octavius. <laughs> and I'm being the whole wonderful Octavius. Not the one who the world has spit on. And not the one who has been, you know, mistreated and, and abused. But the one that is the true spirit of Octavius. Right. And, and uh, helping and allowing and, and assisting others into releasing that part of them so they can receive their blessings. And they can receive that beautiful, wonderful awesome life that they know that they're supposed to have hmm. or they feel within themselves but then the way it's happening in the world right now to them they, they lose sight of that well it's also I think because of all the all the phones and the computers and there's and that's and, the distracting the, part that's the why I get out of the yes. and, and the, the 24 yes, hour news cycle yes, and, and yes. The, all yeah. distractions all distractions away from who you truly are that's why I say on these journeys I take them before I would, you know, I take a phone just because so my family would know I'm okay. And I once in a while, but I rarely turned it on or or used it yeah. because of the fact of noticing that even now, if I carry my phone now mostly for business, yeah. and I, which is a whole other thing. Like I said, with the website and everything starting up, or doing a podcast, and just family, yeah, yes, and yeah, doing podcasts <laughs> and you know doing things that. I'm going to get the message out. I realize the tools of technology are just that tool yeah, that can yeah, be used exactly. yeah. to that purpose. But yes, like you say, it's also become, because they've enhanced them to a point of wow, that it's a distraction. And the spirit does not connect through electronics. No. You know, we as people can connect and see each other and talk to each other and, and give our opinions about things that are really unnecessary. But yet the spirit and the essence and the energy of one another is very difficult to pass through electronics and technology without there have been some type of human connection in the first place. Oh, that's so, so true. Yeah, when, 
when I go out, like I said, when I go out venturing and I'm out walking the streets and I'm busking and doing my thing, I, I don't have the, that's why a lot of times the experiences that I have and I share in words on, on Facebook or on Instagram, like, well, Instagram's all photos. And I try to make some picture photos for that. What's your Instagram page? Uh, that's my Instagram, Octavius underscore I-N-I underscore Rasta. All right. R-A-S-T-A. Yeah. I, don't think I, I don't think I follow you yet. See, uh, I don't, probably not. I don't know. I, I, and that's the thing. I, I'm learning to to get into using this technology and, and, and um, social media. Uh, I, I mean, I, I started social. I started with social media back, you know, with, with MySpace when um, that was going on. And I had MySpace because of the band. And I had my own personal page, but I was just like now. I was very. I didn't keep up with the page regularly. Like I see people, and I've been told, you know, for Instagram, you know, mostly you have to like every day, all day, just about be posting something about what you're doing, where you are with it. You know, just to keep people interested, which I get. The attention span of, of society has dwindled to the point of of a bleep, you know, of, of, of a Snapchat, as they call it, whatever that thing is, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more organic. I really do love going out and feeling the energy and the vibes of, of, of spirits and individuals and, and just nature and, and oh man, yeah. the happenings, you know. Well, that's and then from that... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Fin- finish your thought, please. Yeah. No, say, and then from that point, I like to connect on social media so that way we can may have another experience, you know, or find out something else that I didn't know about from that individual. But I'm very, I'm, I'd say, eighty percent of the people that are my friends on my social media, I've met. Okay. I've ha- had some conversation with of some sort, even if it was just to say, hey, here's my, you know, here's my Facebook, you know, hit me up, and okay, here's mine. We met in some sense of a, a jam night, open mic, in the park, something, so that way there's a, I, I just believe that having a true connection of energy um, determines who I wish to continue to associate with, you know, and, I'm, and it's not a prudish thing, you know, or think I'm, you know, better than, it's just we all have, we all should be aware of who we're connected to, you know, and who we call our friends and who we oh, yeah. choose to associate ourselves with, you know, and being aware of what that energy does to your energy or to your environment and, you know, and making wise decisions based on that, like I said. So For sure. everybody makes their own choices and do what they wish to do. Yet I'm just hoping to plant seeds of awareness, you know, and love, you know, for yourself enough to respect yourself enough to only have individuals and things in your life that love and respect you as well. You know, they don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to always like them or like what they're doing, but have respect, you know? Yeah. And that, and that comes from, that comes from love and that comes from that connection. And so that's, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yes, man, it is. And, it seems to have an impact that makes a difference. And in seeing that, it only encourages and strengthens I more to do more and to stay right here and don't give up on it. Like I said, I'm, I'm still homeless. I'm still... <laughs> well, you're I'm still in a nice jobless. house now, it seems. It's... Well, I'm in a nice house, and, and, it's, and, I, and I'm blessed and appreciate that those that have followed, you know, the journey 
and are following it and who believe in what I'm the message are willing to and and assisting in making sure that I am secure enough to to do this and to accomplish this. So like I said, my brother and I'm standing with here, Howard, um, who is a mutual friend of another associate who we've all come together and kind of formed this um, a One Love Posse. And the One, the love, one love Posse. posse yeah, the One Love Posse. Um, you can actually hashtag One Love Posse. We kind of started <laughs> that um, since I've gotten here in, in, in California because we're all on missions of enriching, uplifting, and enlightening the world, the universe. Trying to to at least create a a better vibe and environment than we have and have had, you know. So that way, future generations will have a foundation to stand on and continue this whole message, this whole mission. So and being associated with them and they have their expertise, and we all come together and creating all of our individual projects, but yet we're all connected through those projects because we all assist in each other's project of positivity, you know. Right. Um, we have um, the gentleman up there with Howard. He's um, founded and CEO of a nonprofit, um, Bomb Techs Without Borders. I'm sorry? And Bomb Techs, like, like Bomb Techs. Bomb Techs Without Borders. Bomb Technicians Without Borders, basically. Oh. Bomb Techs Without Borders. Okay. Yes. Um, all these gentlemen here were active duty um, military. You're all veterans, as I am. You know, I was a U.S. Air Force veteran. I am still. Um, oh, wow. And you, I never knew that. They, like, what, what yeah, year? Well, uh, what year? Uh, um, I served from 82, from 1982 to 1985. Wow. Well, I, I respect yeah. that, man. Thank you. Well, thank you, man. And, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And just this past weekend, I just came back from a, um, a veteran, basically a retreat. It was called um, Stand Down on the Delta which um, it brought together over 400 veterans on this fairgrounds, this site. And we're out there for three and a half days. Um, basically, they set up on this, on this area um, all the facilities to assist veterans. A lot of these veterans, you know, they're out there in the world, they're doing their thing, but a lot of them are still get homeless. Um, as I, you know, but I mean, they're doing bad, and, you know, and, or in a situation where it's, it's, it's a it's a product the situation that they're in is a product of their discharge and then not having the the assistance the proper assistance there to to help and assist them to get back on their feet yeah, once they hit so, stateside. That, that's so terrible, man. Yeah, and it still goes on. I mean, there's still yeah. more programs in place now. Has it gotten better than it used to be? Like it's, oh, it's gotten better. It's yeah. gotten much better then back like I said guys came back from Korea or Vietnam you know yeah. um, it's gotten a lot better yet the system is still jammed up it's still there's a lot of still yeah I just yeah it's a tough I don't want to get to what it is but yeah. it's, still a, it's still an issue yet this program um, stand down in the Delta which they hold in various sites across the United States to where they invite them to come out and they provide you know um, transportation for them to get there you know, if you uh, wish to go, you sign up, and they provide you with clothing. They give you um, dental, medical, um, legal, housing um, benefits, all the assistance you would need 
which a lot of veterans can't make it to the VA all the time. They can't get to the different places because of transportation or location, logistical issues. Well, at this event that they hold, as a matter of fact, there's another one coming up next week in another city. Um, but this was in Antioch, California. And, um, but you, you come there and get a lot of issues and things handled in one spot in three days. And while you're out there, they had live music concerts all day and all night. Um, they had food, they had entertainment, they had, I'm just, it was, it was a, basically it was like a little summer camp for veterans. Okay. But it was also very much for business, for, for you to take care of things, whether you needed, you know, crutches, cane, prosthetics, um, dental work, uh, dentures, I mean, anything that you may have need, may need as a veteran or as a human being, they had, they were facilitating for, on that weekend, for that whole, that whole weekend. Okay. And even though those services are still welcome and I mean, are still offered daily, but yet it's just, like I said, the coordination of getting there and, and getting in there on time and seeing somebody and having to wait. I mean, it's, it's, it's a backed up system, right. but yet, um, the event, um, stand down the Delta was one that, that opened eye and eye eyes to what's actually going on too. And was more motivation and fire underneath, you know, to continue to do what I'm doing. Cause while I was out there, was able to do a lot of what I'm doing. You know, there was a lot of individuals I was able to speak with. Um, took my steel drums out there, so I was able to play music. Um, and even got on stage with a, with a lot of the bands, you know, cause I'm a musician yeah. at heart. <laughs> so if there's music, if there's, if, there's, if there's percussion or a microphone on stage, I will play them. And, and I, and I did, I was, I was able to, you know, talk my way on the stage for several of the bands and sang and, and were able to play percussion and drums. And so it's, and in doing so though, it, it opened up doors for veterans and, and others to come and speak to us and find out more about who I am and what I'm doing. And there I get to plant the seeds and that's all I do. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a cultivator. I'm not a harvester. I am a seed planter. I plant <laughs> seeds. I'm, yeah, that's it. Everyone has their purpose, and I can't do all of them successfully. And God told me, he said, you are a messenger. You plant seeds. So being out of that event with all those brothers and sisters, man, from, from, from all branches of the service was truly a blessing on what I'm doing, but also it was a blessing to I to be out there and to have some things, you know, um, straightened out and established and also to get into that system. Cause I haven't been, I've been kind of off the grid with a whole lot of things for years okay. and finding out being in the system well, allowing yourself to help others. Sometimes you have to sacrifice things that you think are important to you when you realize they're just blockings for you, you know, they cause hindrance to you really making a full connection by staying separated, you know, or just connecting yourself from a situation or from individuals because you don't like the way they operate. Well, perhaps your purpose is to enlighten them and, and, and show them the way they're operating maybe could be, you know, done in a different way. And that's what I realized being out there in the last few months and on this whole journey that because I've been asked, every time I go somewhere, I ask a lot of questions that I usually don't have to answer because the field I've worked in, I've been, I've worked for myself for 30 some odd years, you know, as a musician, as a DJ, as whatever I did 
he was always under Octavius's term. Yeah. And so now to become part of the system, as it were, <laughs> were seemed very hesitant until I realized, oh, I could do a lot of good because to be, it's kind of like, you know, to go and to preach at a church is great. You know, the fellowship is great, but it's like you're preaching to the congregation. They already, they're there for that. They know that, you know. Um, yet when you go out and you speak in the individuals on the street or in certain, you know, venues or in shelters or, you know, or in the parks or on the benches that they're sleeping, you're actually doing the, at least for I, doing the work I'm supposed to, you know, because I've been invited to speak in churches and things like that, and, and I have before. And yet everybody there is is already into in the word or at least on their way and have that, that faith, you know, or they're building their faith. I am supposed to assist in enriching those who have no faith, who have given up, you know, and don't see the good and the and the vibrance within themselves. So that's really, like I said, coming to California, the stand down event, and I can't remember what the original question was, but <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, this whole the the rest of this journey of, of Octavius's life. Mm is to, because I've been, I've had some fun. I've been, oh my God, I've enjoyed the flesh fully, really. I really have, and and I, I say it with no shame, and I say it with no bragging and boast, but I have been allowed and, and, and blessed enough to be able to enjoy the fruits of the world, you know, on all levels through my life. And now it's time that I go to work to give to others and to uplift others as opposed to just enriching myself. So that's why taking the journey and leaving Temple, Texas and getting to LA and as you, everywhere it was, what was it like? I got there and it was beautiful. The sunshine or the row of palm trees right there at Union Station and it looked like LA. I'm like, wow. It was the first time and for you uh, being there or? No, I've been to LA, but it was back in like the eighties. It was back years ago. Wow. So it really has things have evolved. Yet there's an energy and a vibe here in California that's always been here, and I recognize that, and I really know and believe, and I've, I've spoken this that that's why God sent sent I to California to specifically to, to the Bay Area. Okay. So there is the energy. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, what does your average day look like? Like uh, you, uh, you get up and um, then, then what do you do? Uh, like, uh, I'm just curious. Like, now or when I first got to California? Well, I mean, I'm, well, I'm trying, always trying to picture myself what I would do if I just got off the train with a backpack. And okay. uh, what was the okay, first yeah. time you did? Did you, did but, you have a place? Uh, did you have a hostel or no, or, or no, no, or no, a friend no, or no, 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 no? no. <laughs> I had, honestly, I, got, I arrived in LA with. With just faith, man, I'm telling you, seriously, faith, because I knew nobody. Um, I had no, I mean, I know people I suppose in LA, but yet it's not the contact to where that was supposed to be yet. I was supposed to get to LA and contact anyone or anybody. And if I did try to contact them, I had to look them up and search them out on, on social media or something and then be like, hey, remember me? That type of thing. So no, I didn't, I didn't do that. But I actually, when I first got off the train, I walked upstairs out of the, um, down the, on, the, on the tracks and came up from the underground 
and everybody was just people there were catching Ubers and, and Lyfts and buses were coming through. It was it was kind of hustle and bustle, and a lot of people that just arrived as I did, and a lot of people were just commuting because that was a central hub for you know travelers and workers. And so I just took my drum, my pan drum, and I went and set it up over against a wall right there at the bus at the train stop where people were coming into the station. And I sat out of the way and just set it up, and I just started playing. And I started playing my steel drum, and nobody, people were walking by, nobody was really paying attention, and I wasn't trying to get attention. I was just trying, I was, honestly, it was just something that came up upon, I had to just put the vibe out into the L.A. air all day. I'm here, I'm okay. here. Right. And really, Octavius has was, arrived in Los Angeles. Like, I yeah. have arrived, yeah. yes, and I've arrived like this, very peaceful and calm, and I'm hoping to, really, I just suddenly played for maybe a half hour, 45 minutes or so, like in a meditation, really. And then I was like, okay, I've got to move. I can't just be here. And I really had no idea where, which direction I was going to go. So I was like, okay. And I remember I looked down, I was going to um, do Google Maps to find out where a bus stop was. I could catch a bus at least or something. And, and just as I was plugging into Google Maps, my phone died. <laughs> I'm like, okay, shoot. I had my plug off. And I went walking around looking for a plug, couldn't find a plug, an outlet, anywhere. And I finally found like a, a shop or something. I think it was either a Starbucks or a Subway or some commercial business. And I walk in, I'm looking around, I saw no plugs in the store whatsoever. And so, and I had to use the restroom, I remember that. <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, you know, um, do y'all have any plugs that I need? They're like, no, we don't have any plugs. And I was like, okay. Um, when I use the bathroom, I bathroom for customers only. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't, want, a, I don't want a subway, sandwich subway. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I went to another place, same thing. As I walked out, I realized there are no open outlets for the public in California, barely, anywhere. Where I am, there's a few, because I'm in a different part. This is the attitude. <laughs> it's amazing, man. I'm, crazy. I'm getting off track again. But anyway, I was, um, that was the train I played, my, I was playing my steel drum. And when I went to the shop, I was looking for a place to charge my phone, and I just, I just got on, I just kept walking. I, I remember I was walking. And I was just walking, walking, and walking. I had this, this duffel bag type of bag, and I had everything that I could possibly think I would need, but then not everything because I didn't want to wear it down. But I had packed a lot of like food stuff, like crackers and and, and peanut butter and stuff I could eat just in case. Cause like I said, my brother, I didn't have any money really. I had a few dollars, but yet after the train ticket and, and the ride there and, and everything, I was like, okay. And, and even along the way, I'm, I'm helping people, you know, that were on the street because I can't help it. That's one thing too, Dick. I just, as little as I have now, and cause I've always done that. When I had more, I did it. When I had less. But even as little as I have now, I, there's still that impulse that I'm supposed to help others if I can. Even if I only have $7, I can give somebody at least three. You know, that type of mentality. Wow. And, you know, and, it still, and it still happens. And I, and I, but, but with that, I'm still, I'm, my blessings come. And so I live off of that. It's just like having a place to stay now. So, but um, getting off the train, and I went walking through and I'm helping people, and I was doing my hashtag, you know, Babbling in Babylon. I was telling letting people know where I was, and I was had the phone in front of my face, and people, you know, giving comments and everything. And 
I remember, I think the first night, I was just awake all night. And I stayed up all night because I was end up crouching down in some little area on the street, but it was like a like a doorway was there, but it was boarded up. And I kind of just crossed in there and I sat on my bag and I had my backpack and I put my hands on it. I just kind of stayed up all night just looking around going like, okay, <laughs> okay, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And, but I knew it was something because nothing was saying give up or, or oh my gosh, and nothing was panicking. It was just, okay, what's, I'm here. But then it was like, it kept coming to me. I wasn't at the water. And the whole the voice that came to I in Texas and the calling was, go west till you hit water. And then you'll know. And I'm like, okay, so I'm still in LA and I was like, my money's getting less, so how far is the water? I was like, Venice Beach. But then the money I had and what it would took to get out there by train or bus or anything, I was like, I'm not gonna have any money to get back or either where was somebody going? All these questions of, of finance were coming into mind. But then, yet I had to start thinking, okay, stop thinking about worldly things. Stop thinking about the worries of the world. And I just became comfortable in just being. And so I'm walking around LA. So I went down to Hollywood and Vine and Hollywood Boulevard and started sightseeing. I was like a tourist because I was dabbling in Babylon and I was taking everybody that was following and watching on this journey through LA. All the places people hadn't seen, people hadn't seen, just interesting things. You know, the Wax Museum, you know, went to um, just all, Beverly Hills and all these places to just like a tourist. And in that, you know, blessings were coming. You know, I was able to find places to lay my head and this and that. Um, so you just met people who offered you a I was just meeting people. Well, no, 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 I, no, I, no. I still had to crash and find them shelter or just crash on the street or in the park. I found out that in California, the homeless population is from, from this is just an observation I have. The homeless population is regarded as a section of the population. Yeah, so, it's, it's an enormous amount of people. I've, I've, oh my gosh. And their locations of where they dwell and set up a shop and they call this, this is my house, is literally everywhere. And it could be at the base of the freeway. It could be right there outside of a sandwich shop. It could be right at the base of a, of a multi-million dollar apartment complex. Oh, wow. It can be right, yes, right in the financial district, there are tent cities on the street, the same street that these businessmen making six figures a year are walking and doing business deals. It's amazing the homeless population that is here, and it's so an integrated part of society here. Hmm. And and they're not, it's not, and they're not even looked down upon. They're just accepted as they're homeless. That's their business. And oh, that's okay. the impression I get. I mean, okay. there's programs set up everywhere for these homeless, just like the veterans. There's help and assistance for them all. A lot just don't take advantage of them. And a lot have gotten so far gone in their abuse, you know, of some substance or another to where their mental state is just, it's just, Yeah, I've, 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 I, I don't I want to say sad. It's just, it's just, it's just wow. It's just wow. Yeah, I know? know some people who also went to uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, and they, 
they also said they were like, like yeah, yeah, I've never never seen that before, like the amount of homeless people and also just I've seen homeless before and I'm you know, you think I'm in Austin. They got you know, got in Pensacola. But this is a whole different level, man. Yeah. I've seen this pictures is something... of it. It's it's pretty horrible. It's, oh, uh... pictures about nothing. But the thing is, here's the thing about pictures, the pictures and actually being here, which I had to realize, and like I said, it's not I'm comfortable with it, but I get it because many of them get it. Many of them actually are holding down nine to five jobs. They go to work every day with families. Well, they're homeless. But but the cost of living here is ridiculous. I'm not saying it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. And with the influx of the tech community, so you have so many people who are not native Californians that have relocated here because of business and work. And they relocate to areas that are being gentrified and, and, and upgraded to the point where people are being pushed out of their homes and dwellings because we're going to take and make this into a, you know, six-figure-a-year rental that people who are coming into tech business, tech business can afford hmm. without any problem. And But it puts others out, and yet those others still have to make their living, and they do it. So, I mean, and yeah, that was one of the big things that I can't say I'm shocked by a lot of things, but it was a surprise to realize that a lot of the people I was seeing going to work in uniforms and this and that, they lived in their cars and they lived in, you know, shelters like everybody else homeless. Man, that's terrible. But the thing, yeah, man, and, uh, and that's part of why I know I'm here. And even though I'm just gotten here and things are just starting, but believe me, that's. It's on my, my sticky board, and I tag that up as, as one of the things that I'm actually implementing. I'm making contact with the mayor's office. Is I got up um, the factor of allowing the homeless to help clean up and fix up this city that they seem to have given to the homeless, but not assisting them in a sense of giving them a purpose while they're rebuilding and reestablishing themselves. So that's why the whole um, having the, the homeless population be a part of the cleanup and keeping it sanitized and clean and rewarding them with vouchers. If you can't give them, if you don't have it in your budget to pay them, you know, give them vouchers for, for housing, for food, you know, for, 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 for clothing, for whatever they're going to need because there are spaces like every major city I've ever visited and been to and even small cities, there's vacant buildings, vacant dwelling buildings, apartment places and houses that having a program in place to, to have the homeless population, those living in shelters, establish their own place, give it to them hmm. on a contingency of you maintain, you fix it up, we'll take care of it. We'll give you lights, we'll give you water, we'll give you gas, whatever it takes for you to live in there, but you maintain the ground. Everyone living there is responsible for making sure that place stays up to code, stays up to notch. You don't abuse it. And so therefore they have a, a an address, a residency, so they can go out and prosper. But the way the situation I'm seeing now, man, is just, and I'm, I'm blessed, and I, I have a focus on the purpose in the fact that in being homeless, and experiencing as I have this time, I mean, I've been homeless in the sense where I bounced from couch to couch until I got my own. But this being out there literally sleeping on the street and just, you know, busking or playing my music for tips so I can eat that day 
experiencing that is another insight to part of what I'm doing and allows that me implanting seeds, excuses and, 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 and crying and whining, I, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate. I'm not supposed to. Because too many have suffered and come up and gone through and stuck it out and, and, and forged forward and have done it for you, able and capable to give up or to whine and, and point fingers. I know. No. Because no. I'm exactly where you are, yet I'm doing something. And others who recognize that are willing to help those who are willing to help themselves. Right. And and that's part of the seed planting. And I see that here. And, and just being in the shelter, you know, spending nights in the shelter when I had to get off the street because of weather or just, I just, I'm tired of being on the street, you know, in this journey and going and getting in line and having to sign up and hopefully get a place in the shelter, whether it be a bed or just a chair to sit in. You know, I spent many nights that didn't have any beds, but yet they had chairs. If you want a chair, but we don't have any beds, yeah, I'll take a chair. It's inside, right? I just, you have to put the chair outside as long as I can get inside, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, and it, it was that way, Dick. It was, I realized how the circumstances can be looked at as, oh, my gosh, what you're going through, or either, oh, my gosh, I can never, yes, you can. That's part of the journey is realizing the strength within. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and how to overcome the what's happening to you as opposed to what you're supposed to do you know despite of whether you're homeless jobless moneyless foodless carless shoeless coatless if you know that I, but i'm supposed to fulfill this purpose and i'm supposed to give to others then that's not going to stop me just because i don't have a roof over my head i still have to go out and do good and i still have to go out and, and help others who have more than i do in many cases become more than they are and but that's just that's the reward that's the that's the payoff that's the blessing is having that that sort of influence in someone's life to where it actually can help guide them to the life that they have been wishing to live or a life that they're supposed to live to fulfill a greater good and you know and i just i find this happiness in that I do I really do I find self happiness and not self fulfillment like look what I did but happiness seeing somebody else smile because they realize how awesome they are that is that's great man that's, that's beautiful that is, I, it is yeah. man life is beautiful and that's the, that's what I that's what I that's what I talk about that's I good. do not allow negativity to cross the bridge to Octavius I don't <laughs> and if people start to express negativity or negative thoughts or, or negative hypotheticals, I will cut them off, you know, or at least ask them to, hey, hey, you got to see the, the good side. And if they refuse, I will physically walk away. Mm. I've learned that you can walk away from a bad situation if yes. you choose to. Hell you yeah. can physically turn around and walk out on someone. That's yeah. your right. You can do that. You can protect your spirit and your good. You can. You can't tell anybody to shut up, stop it, quit. You can, but they don't have to. But you can walk away. Yeah. And close the door behind you. They'll get the message. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and it's that easy. 
and I've been told, I've been called rude, and I've been called an a-hole when I've done that before. I really have. When I first started realizing I can do that, and I was doing that to individuals, I was cursed out or cursed at. Right. I was called names, and then people even got to the point where they wouldn't even want, they didn't want to speak to me. Yet, every one of those individuals that did that and felt that way have come back and apologized. Hmm. Not because I said so, not because I got on them about it, because in the action of asking, you know, hey, let's talk about something positive, and them not doing so, and I knowing that I cannot tell or control anybody else's actions, words, or whatever they want to talk. Therefore, I can for myself. And I turn and walk away. And each one of them, you got seen them and they said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for that, man. I just, you know, and I'm, like, I'm not even mad at you. And when I walk away, I'm not mad. I'm just realizing what you can do to I by if I allow you to just spill this garbage on me. I'm going to stink. You know, <laughs> I will. If, yeah. If somebody throws crap on you or they're throwing crap at you and you stand there until they hit you, you're going to smell like crap. Yeah. Well, there's this saying, if you get into a fight with a pig in, in the shit, you both get covered in shit and the pig enjoys it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I didn't come up with that one, but it's a good one. But that, but, it, but the same thing. It's the same problem. It's, the same, it's just being said in a different way. And I've come to realize that too, that there, there's nothing new under the sun. And my grandmother told uh, before she passed, my grandmother was 99, almost 99 years, she was 99 years old when wow. she passed. So she had been here a while, and I knew that. And when we got together on a family reunion, and we were out in the park at where we had the reunion, and I had my camera, and I had a GoPro, and I had my phone, and I was like, Granny, I want to, you know, sit and have a conversation with you. I want to record a conversation with you. You know, we've heard the family history and lineage and how they met and what they went through, but yet, I had I wanted to have a documented thing where I'm having a conversation with my grandmother, who is a century, and to have her explain <laughs> and talk yeah. about how yeah how life how the world has changed since she was young. I mean, born in what 190 I think she was born 1907. My grandmother was, and 1907 1901. It was I don't know. She was I know she she was old. And she's been a while. She remembers and when there weren't like when there weren't really cars around, and, and you when, know. when there weren't cars, airplanes, all of this, Granny. And I was like, I want to talk to you about. I said, you've been here, just watching the world change. And she stopped me mid sentence and just put her hand on my my arm and said, "Baby, ain't nothing changed." <laughs> and I and I was like, "Yeah, but I said, but you were here when she said, baby, man's still doing the same thing. Ain't nothing changed.'" And that statement was such a thunderbolt to everything that I was doing, everything I was thinking about, everything I was looking forward to. And it caused I to just start really looking at the world and man and his actions and history of what they say man has been doing and his actions and, and seeing what the world is doing now and its actions. And she was right. She is right. Mankind is still doing the same thing it's always done. So all the things that we've made is just really it's imagination. 
all the, this what we're doing now came from an imagination. Just like when the first man decided to take and tie a stone onto a stick so he could hammer something or break something rather than using his hand or just the stone, he first imagined it, then he figured out how to make it into reality, and then he uses it. And it's the same thing we're doing now. With all our technology and all of our cars and lights and electricity and running water, we think we're, we're, we're big shots. Yet our actions, our views, our treatment of one another, still the same. Yeah. Still well, the same. Well, if you, uh, if you walk around in some, uh, and this is especially true in Europe, I think, if you walk around in some ancient cities, you see buildings that were built like 800 years ago, and they're yeah. more beautiful yeah. than, than what's being built yeah. today. You and know? they still stand. And they, they still, still stand. stand. Yeah. And we're building and rebuilding, and buildings are collapsing and falling down at the, the blow of the wind. You know, all of a sudden, a harsh wind comes in, and oh my God, it's gone. Yeah. And you spent millions and billions of dollars building these things, and then in the blink of an eye, it can be gone. And that, as you said, you go around these ancient cities and you find these buildings that were just built by hand and hard work and just stone. Yeah, like old, and old castles. Standing. Old yes, castles and just a bunch cathedrals. of stones and rocks. Yeah. Yeah. And they're spectacular. And they're still there. And they're spectacular. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's just it. And and seeing beauty in the simplicity. I find more valuable than trying to create something that is just outlandishly out of out of sight, and you calling that beauty? Uh, I just don't. I don't see that. I don't, and that means no one else has to it. They should, and it doesn't mean that I'm judging anyone who does. But yet, even those who see beauty in the spectacular that's being made now, they all go back and look at history beauty and think it's the most beautiful thing. Or either modern man. Is taking ancient beauty and weaving it into modern times and saying, look what I'm doing. And people go, that's the most beautiful thing without realizing it's been done. Right. You know, you know, and, and that's it. And that's the thing about generations, I believe, or getting older, I'm coming to find that with each new generation, especially millennials, the ones who go through a whole thousand year cycle or, or a hundred year cycle, they are innocent as far as the world materialism, you know. And so someone who has seen it and knows it's there, or someone who just goes back and finds it and then brings it to the forefront for the new newbies, the newbies are going like, oh my gosh, have you seen the new? And cats like myself are going like, we did that already, you know? It's been done. We didn't call it that name. We called it this, but it's the same thing. And I'm starting to recognize that. Yet I'm not judging that. I just find that that's very interesting. That everything, like the old expression, everything old is new again. I'm at the age where, yes, yes. Stop calling this this brand new thing I've come up with. No, you didn't. You didn't. But yet, you know, I'm sure... You know, Michelangelo and Socrates and, and, and Plato and, and, and Benjamin Franklin and, and, and Winston Churchill, everybody from the past can look at everybody in this present and go, we did that already, you know? <laughs> and, well, there's, you know, but, you might have. But we're still right? moving ahead, though, right? I mean, well, uh, we're, we're, we're not, I feel we're not moving ahead as 
Well, in terms of the basis of society, in, in terms of what we, what we can we, make, though, in terms well, of well, yeah, but that's it. But every generation is that, yeah. Because going from from the stone hammer to a metal hammer was ingenious. It was high tech. It was moving ahead. Yeah. So and that's what I'm, that's my point. Every generation feels they're moving so further ahead when really, yeah, you're really not. You're just doing what you have the capability of doing in your time frame because of what foundation has been laid before. That's true. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, and, and I see that truth. And it doesn't mean I put down technology and what people are doing now. I, I applaud much of it because, yeah, it's easy. It's entertaining or it's useful. It's practical. But yet I have yeah, but that's uh, jaded. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's the thing. Uh, th that seems to be a trend now where people want to... Uh, do away with everything that's that's old you know and and also uh, like ideas that have been established for a very long that's, time but I, my generation did the same thing yeah my father's generation did the same thing we all want to do away with that because we got something brand new it's it's weird to me yeah. it's uh yeah it's same uh, here yeah. same here especially when you see that truth and what i've gotten to is once now i see that truth it doesn't bother me i'm at balance and i'm at peace with it because i get it i get what man's doing They're doing exactly everything they can do at the time they can do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm not mad at you, world. I'm not <laughs> upset with you, mankind. I'm really not. But my point is just because it's kind of like that thing, just because they make it doesn't mean you have to go and get it. Or just because it's on television doesn't mean you have to watch it. Oh, you know, it's true. one of those things. Yeah. You know, I'm in that place where to try to outlaw and tell somebody they're wrong or they shouldn't, Wow, how yeah. dare you, in a sense, you know? You having the ability to say you're wrong is the same right that they have to create what you think is wrong or to do what you think is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, 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 I, I mean, yeah. like that, that yeah. shouldn't be, uh, like when, when people want to shut other people down because they disagree yeah, with them, yeah. that's, that's, that's yeah. uh, very dangerous. Yes. That's, that's very dangerous. Exactly. Very exactly. It's not good. So therefore, that's why I say playing seeds of, of having people awaken and realize who they truly are and their full potential, it really eliminates, and it can on a global sense, eliminate the want, the need, and the urge to do those things that the body that be have to, you know, legislate for you not to do. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it's, it's ridiculous. It's really, it's why it's really ridiculous that There has to be a committee or a group formed to tell people how to act properly and, and kindly and and just respectfully. That just why does it take somebody saying, okay, now you have to be nice to people who have this affliction or who look like this? And everybody all of a sudden goes, Okay, fine. I will I'll be nice to them because you say so. Why can't you just be nice? So they don't have to tell you to, you're just being nice. Or you're being kind, you're being loving, you're being respectful. Because out of one side of your face, you're talking about how nice and how much of a Christian you are, how this you are, but then on the other side of your face, you're condemning someone right. for being them. You know, I don't play that, so yeah. So that's the whole, yeah, the thing I realized, and I have peace and I have happiness and balance no matter what the circumstance, whether I'm 
sleeping in next to an alley that smells like somebody's butt just cracking a day baby. Oh my God, brother, you have no idea the smells I've smelled and the sights I've seen. Yeah, tell me, wow. tell me some crazy stories about uh, what you, you know, I'm sure you've seen some shit wow. while you were, uh, you know, out on the street, like something, <laughs> something, something Man. funny or something crazy. Just some, just everything, and I, and I say this with respect and very conscious of how serious it is. It really is a theater of, of, it's just a theater. The people are a theater. And those who live on the street and have to deal with being on the street and have kind of lost touch with reality on the street are entertaining. And I say this, like I said, in the worst way. Fun. I mean, I, know, is... I say this in the, in the most loving way. Yeah. Really, because of many of these street entertainers who have been mind warped by whatever means, some substance or just inward abuse to the point of realizing I'm on the street and I have nowhere to go and they just mentally bring themselves down or do they intake substances that cause these imbalances. It's an entertaining thing sometimes. I was <laughs> I was on Venice Beach and there's, on Venice Beach, if anybody's never been there, who actually hears this, but on uh, Venice Beach, you have the beautiful Pacific Ocean, the beach, and there's the, the, the walk, the boardwalk. Well, it's not a boardwalk, it's a, it's a street. It's a kind of a lane that goes from one end of the beach to the other, and along that, all these shops and gift shops and performers and entertainers and crafters and artisans, and you can get a lot of things on this little strip that goes about a mile and a half down Venice Beach. And... So I'm out there, and as nightfall comes in, that's where I was staying at one point of the journey. So I had to find, I was sleeping under palm trees, and it sounds beautiful to happen to sleep under the moons and stars on the beach, and you got the palm and the breeze, not as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you have a hotel room to go back to after you've kind of gotten up and dusted the sand off. But if you realize that this is home, and this is it, and then the cool breeze off the Pacific comes in with the dampness and your sand fleas and... And, and people who have really, really taken their their substance abuse way too far to where they're having awake night terrors is all I can call it. Oh, shit. And they're, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the feeling you would get if you just didn't feel, if you weren't aware of where you were and what was there and the possibility and feeling that safe sense of, like I said, safe kept me from panicking because I knew that I'm supposed to be out here to go and do what I'm supposed to do. So therefore I was always looking forward to what I'm supposed to do next. So I never got caught up in the fear, but when you're out there and someone, this, this young man comes up and he had a blanket kind of half wrapped on. He didn't have a shirt on. He had some shorts and he mismatched flip flops. So he was one of the homeless out there and he comes up and I'm talking to this other group of people that I had met, um, by this cafe and guy was out there playing guitar and so of course I started singing with him so now I'm singing on the street again hoping to make some change and this guy comes up and he goes anybody one of you guys got a light and I didn't at the time and the gentleman I was playing with didn't and I guess nobody sitting around didn't and so he says okay and he just stands there for a minute and no big deal he was standing there and so the guy continued playing guitar and out of nowhere this guy begins clucking uh, like a chicken, like a rooster, like serious. <laughs> and just, man, I'm talking 
for about four to seven minutes. I couldn't count time, but it seemed like a long time to be clucking <laughs> for a grown, tall man to be jerking and clucking and jerking and clucking. That's all he did. And I didn't know if he was having a seizure. I think it was a seizure of the effect of whatever he took right. or whatever he injected or, inje- or injected or inje- just ingested. And it was that type of thing would happen. And even though at the time it wasn't funny to where I laughed or anyone laughed out loud, most of the people just kind of ignored it because they kind of, I guess they were used to it. I wasn't used to it. It's pretty yet, crazy that I, people get used to that. <laughs> that's, and that that's, that's the thing. The, people, the homeless population does some of the most I was down at this other place, and this was in San Francisco, and I went down there to busk, and here in, in um, California, busking is basically you're a street performer, right. and you're busking for, for money. I didn't know the term. I didn't know busking meant when I first got here. But um, I was out busking with my drum, and this guy, I guess, going into one of his episodes, and this was a different gentleman. I like, so this is in San Francisco, and I found this new spot down by the, um, on South Beach, down by the, um, the Port Authority. So I'm by the water and there's pelicans and it's beautiful and there's a San Francisco bridge. Visually beautiful. People are gathering, there's a giant fountain sculpture behind me. I'm like, this is so nice. And this guy gets up off of his blanket, he laying in the grass and he proceeds to relieve himself 15 feet from where I was playing. And not just, not oh, number man. one, but number two. <laughs> That's just disrespectful, and, man. That's just rude. Well, and that's just it. I guess I set up shop in his front yard. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> he was there. It was just, I just, but there were several people laying in the grass, sleeping in the grass. People going back and forth to work. There was a, a farmer's market going on across the street. So people buying fruits and vegetables. Oh, man. And this guy had to get up and go to the bathroom. And he chose, I guess, that, that section of the lawn was his bathroom. Because he walked away from where he was sleeping. But, but I've seen several of them. People just... I'm saying they're just in their own place in their mind. Did and people get angry or, or did people react to it? That's just it. No, it's, it's just, that's what I'm saying. It's its own culture that's a part of the existence of being here. Mm, people, they, they just walk around it or and it's not even walking around it like you, you know, it's just, that's just part of what happens. It's a part of life here and that's how it's accepted. Wow. And at first I thought, wow, that's so rude. But as I've been here and I walked the streets and I hung out and I just, you know, just observed, noticed that there's not really a sense of rudeness or disrespect from either side, even the homeless. It's just acceptance. Yeah, but it's just, it's, that's terrible, it's though. It's pure acceptance because, and I, I get it, and talking with some of the people I know out that live out here and, and some of um, the one little posse and their people, because I've been blessed to attend several functions and dinners and brunches with these, with these, um, with these individuals that are part of their, you know, work core or their, their clients and things like that. And I've been invited along, you know, and, and, allowed to engage with these people, <laughs> excuse me, but I've been able to gain a perspective of, of what's going on, right. you know, rather than sit back and judging it from the outside of view, but from their explanation of why it is so, and, and, and hearing them, is, they're not making excuses or putting anybody down, it's just a factor of everybody here or any metropolis, when you see them out in public, they are on a mission. They're, they're either going to work, coming from work, 
doing work in the midst of work, you know, contemplating work. So all the other elements that are happening, the other people, individuals, be they other business workers or whatever they are, homeless or not, is not a focus or a distraction for them. Yeah. Well, it's just city so, life, you know, people kind of live, city life. live yes. next to Everybody, each other. Yes, they're accepting. And that's the thing I did notice and I and I started to really appreciate was there is, there, there's no, from what I've noticed, there's no disrespect from the working and the doing well community to the homeless community. Right. There's not a sense of looking down on them it's just, I recognize where you are in your life, but I'm here in my life and I need to go on by. And they avoid them by not crossing the street or walk, making a wide berth. They'll walk right between them and amongst them as if, oh, because of the fact they're human beings too, mm-hmm. yet I'm on my way to do what I have to do. And I really start to appreciate that about the city. At least this city that I've been in is because they do have that. Now, in L.A., it was a different thing. It was a whole different vibe. L.A. is very selfish, just mm-hmm. from eye and eye observation. The energy in L.A. is exactly what it's supposed to be. It's Los Angeles. It's La La Land. It's make-believe. It's Tinseltown. Right. So the, the vibes there are very, from just eye and eye experience, very either plastic, fake, or make-believe, phony. Right. The attitudes are selfish. <laughs> and I'm talking about not just, I mean, every, honestly, everyone in L.A. was very selfish to apply in their attitudes, except the homeless population or those who are just on the bottom. And that's the thing about the world. Even my travels when I was younger, seemed like those with the least seemed to be the most humble and the kindest and the most giving. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and it, it was really, really, it's still interesting even now, you know, and when I go out and even when I go out and busk, having people out busking themselves or trying to collect money for themselves coming over and, and giving tips and blessings to us because they're like, wow, thank you, man. That's, that sounded really pretty. That sounded really nice. That was really good. You know, it was relaxing because the music I play is more meditational than it is entertaining and hey look at me I just I play to create an atmosphere right and even the homeless population I play around and with the homeless population a lot because I realize what it can give just lifting spirits or at least allowing them to have something other than the sound of the city that seems to be stepping on them in their ears so um, hmm. it just it's, it's, it's amazing like I said the different your question of how many different outrageous I'm just so many things I've seen that have been so awesomely wonderful and wow and so many things I've seen that have just been wow I can't believe this is I mean people are doing this I mean like I said it's 10 cities the people going home you know I got invited back to this couple they're like we go back to our place and you know and get something to drink and you know like thank you and I was thankful and their place their house was they had a tent, which they have an actual tent, but they also had tarp built up where it actually added extra rooms and all. And I'm like, wow. The fact that that's what it's come down to, their, their, their expectation or at least their acceptance of 
one of the two, either their expectations are very low and they just accept it and, and settled in, or they've accepted, okay, this is where I am now, so I'm gonna make the best of it. Because I've been there before where I had to live in a place that I'm like, okay, I realize this is just temporary, so, but yet I'm not gonna live like this isn't my home. I'm gonna put pictures on the wall, I'm gonna you know, decorate, and I'm gonna keep it clean and nice because this is my home, be it that it's on the street, this is my home, mm-hmm. you know? And they did that, so it was like really, Oh, it get, it, that, that, that's what, those are those fulfilling moments when I recognize the spirit of someone, or at least I and I spirit recognizes their spirit, to where despite their circumstances, they still have a positive outlook on their life and who they are. Oh, that's and nice. So, yes, and that's the thing. That's why I've kind of I'm in that position of okay, I realize your circumstance and your situation. Now, what's your spirit about? You know, what, what, where do you really see yourself? Is this, this what you see for yourself? Or is this where you have just accepted it and this is your place? Or do you know there's more to you? And then it goes from there. So that way they can, you know, individual can start to say out loud and to think about consciously the greatness within them, you know, despite what they're going through in their circumstance and situation. And there's been times I've had this conversation and tried to get to this level of conversation with some out in the street and then the the imbalance shows up, which is a signal or a flag to eye to say, okay, this moment of clarity that they're having is was only a moment because they'll start clucking. I mean, or, or something, you know, I mean, serious, just to that effect, either something, whether it's clucking or the conversation will just take a turn into a direction of, of what? Well, I mean, and I, I don't want to say in a direction of madness, but sometimes that, that almost genius madness to where they're saying things that are just so out of context for what we were just talking about. But what you're saying, yeah, it makes a lot of great sense, but where did it come from and what, 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 where does it fit? I mean, what's, what's the point of it? You know, so... That's a big part of being out here and 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 doing what I'm doing and having taken this journey is just like every other experience I've had, man, from being in the military to working corporate to being, you know, working couch to couch to being a musician to traveling to touring to being in prison. All those things were... You in prison? Sick. Yeah, man. <laughs> I thought you knew that. Yeah, 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 but uh, I, yeah, okay, oh, okay, okay, we're doing this. I forgot, yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been, yeah, I, I did four years, man, in Mississippi State, um, Mississippi State Department of Corrections, Mississippi Department of Corrections. Yeah, wow. I did uh, nine when, months in county, and go ahead. When, when was that? Yeah, this was ninety-seven to two thousand and one. Wow. Damn. And yeah, yeah, damn is right. Yeah. What was but that, that like? That, and honestly, that was an experience that I was placed in because of the choice that I made. And I own up to it and I paid for it, you know, legally. Um, and also spiritually and individually and everything else, I paid, the, I learned the lessons. I can't say I paid. I learned the lessons from that experience, which allowed the experiences after that to not be harsh or un, unsurvivable. Right. Because prison, prison's a very, very unpleasant place. And it's not constantly unpleasant. Yet, 
when it gets unpleasant, it's unpleasant. Right. And and you're in a place where you have many individuals who just don't care anymore. Don't give a damn about themselves, about you, about the guards, the CEO, the warden, the captain. They don't care about any of that. So they have nothing to lose. So doing you in is like getting coffee. Nothing scarier than than a man with nothing to lose, man. Yeah, yeah. And being aware and and and, and um, just, I've always been a vigilant individual since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up having to move all the time. My father was military, so we were moving every few years or so around the planet, you know. So I was somewhere new almost every other school year for years. So learning to adapt and overcome and be observant and to recognize and to, you know, what to, what to just be able to sit back and, and, and observe before making any moves, you know, or, or getting too involved was just innate. And so going to prison, having that, I believe, I know, was a lesson learned for that, for having to go there and to learn those lessons. Because there, there were incidents that happened that individuals didn't make it. And people were like severely scarred for life, more than just mentally. And situations that I had to go through that ended to where it was, yeah, I survived. But yet it was lesson learned. And it wasn't that I didn't know the lesson before the altercation. It's just I had to go through the altercation so everybody knew I got the lesson. But also in teaching the lesson because in going through, you know, getting jumped, you know, while you're in there because the guards don't care. It's not their, it's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to clean up the mess. Or to or just, just jump you for for no reason, like. Well, it was. It came about. The story was. I was. I just came into this new zone, and um, I was in a county facility still. They had moved me to a county facility. That's like um, small kill, right? Is, or is it? It was uh, big. It's a big facility. It just it's considered county because only people from the county were housed there. Okay. Now, state facility, you can be from anywhere in the state or any other state and be housed there. But a county facility basically houses those who are either from that county or caught their charge in that county. Okay. So I was in that. I was in the county. That county from the county, Harrison County, Mississippi, and um, there was an individual they called KG. This young man, nineteen years old, Mississippi, born and bred. He was about six four, six three, six four, at least. About at least two fifty, two sixty, maybe two. I'll give him less because he was in shape. Um, KG and started off. He wanted to play dominoes. I mean, yeah, play dominoes. And I played dominoes. I was learning how to play. And in there, they play a lot of dominoes and cards, and you learn to get get better. So anyway, I started this game with this guy. I never met him before. I'd only been there a few days, maybe a week or so. And we're playing dominoes. And you know, in dominoes, when you're playing two people, you have some bones are, are laid down. Some of the dominoes are face down, so that way if you don't have a match, you have to go in and get them. So he kept going into the pile and looking and put it back. Once you look at it, you're supposed to keep it so that builds your hand, the other person, you know, is close to a win. So he kept cheating, and I called him on it. And so he said, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop. But then he started doing it again. And I told him, okay, you know what? I'm not going to play. 
So I put my dominoes down, and I was done playing. He told me, you're going to play dominoes. <laughs> and we're, we're in the day room where everybody's watching television and playing games and stuff and doing their thing. So, I'm, of course, everybody's paying attention, but they're not paying attention. So I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. And I knew it. I'm telling you, when I started playing the game, as he started cheating, I knew this is building to something. And most of the time when you come in, you're going to get tested one way or another. Right. Um, so uh, he said, oh, you're going to play dominoes. So now I'm like, man, I'm not playing those dominoes. F you. <laughs> because I can't back down. I can't show weakness. And I know all this. Even though in my mind, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Please just let him go away with words. And so I turn my back and start watching television like everybody else. And I felt this pressure to the back of my head. He had punched me in the back of my head with this sledgehammer of a fist. <laughs> and there was just this numb ringing. But yet, it didn't knock me out and knock me down. And I've always been able to take a punch. I haven't had many fights. And the few I've had, either I can submit someone or I take a blow or two and then it's over. But um, in this situation, I got just And so I stood up and I turned around to face it. I do. And I'm looking up. (laughs) How old were you at the time? Man, I was 35, 36. I, I got in trouble late in life. My whole life, I never got in trouble. Just, I went to prison just for making a bad decision about some people I didn't really know and trying to, you know, trying to live up to the to the code of, you know, I ain't no snitch type of thing. Right. And so I'm not snitching, but yet they snitched and so I got in trouble. So for uh, <laughs> not okay. snitching. So, and yeah, it came back. It was a whole big ugly process for a minute. But I survived it, which is exactly why a lot of this is happening now. But yeah, he he got up and I squared off with him, and then he started swinging, you know. And he's this big dude. He got some size, but yet he's swinging these haymakers. So he doesn't know he, I'm sure he knows how to hurt somebody, and he knows how to throw punches. It's just he has to connect. Yeah. And me, I'm I'm nimble. I, I'm I'm bobbing and weaving. I'm but but I'm not running away. But I'm avoiding getting the full brunt of these hits. And so after probably about four or five swings and he's not connecting, he just rushes in and just just pins me against the wall. And against that wall were the phone banks where they had all the phones where you could make phone calls when you could when they let you use the phone. And he took the receiver off and he starts just, oh, shit. just beating me beating me in the head and the back. And so I'm got my hand like this and so he's hitting but he's not really making any damage and I'm feeling the hits. But yet I'm more upset in the fact that I cannot beat this dude. I know I can't beat him up because I know I, I, I just, well, then, probably now I take him on. Then I was just, I was really intimidated, but yet I wasn't, I don't back down. I don't back down. So, um, so he's beating me with his receiver and I'm sitting there looking. I'm like, wow, his crotch is like, cause I'm bent over right there. I'm like, I can grab a handful of his nuts and just squeeze, or I could just boom, just punch. But then I'm like, but yet in there, you know, a lot of, a lot of inmates are connected and they have these different organizations and gangs and stuff. Yeah. And in my mind, from being there that week, observing, he's part of a clique that's up in there. I know this. So I'm like, man, if I, you know, 
debilitate him, am I going to get jumped by the rest of his brothers? That's what's going through my mind. I'm thinking logically, I can take a few more blows, I'm all right, rather than having the whole truth jump on me and I'm getting kicked and stomped to death because I've seen it happen, you know. So I'm just, and then one guy, one of the guys from his crew comes over, hey, leave that man alone. Get off of him. They no, get off, get off that man. And so KG backs up and he's winded. He's like he's been going five rounds with Frazier or something. I'm like, dude, I haven't thrown one punch. And your ass is that tired? Okay. And so I'm like, good. And so and um the guy who came over they called him Little Black. And he was this little black dude. <laughs> he was I'm telling you, he's probably I don't want he was like he probably he may have been five four, five, five. Oh wow. But he ran things. He was the boss. Oh right. And he came over and told KZ, hey man, he said, get off that man. He said, Hey, he looked at me, he looked at KD, he said, This man ain't here for this bullshit. And I'm sitting in my mind going, No, I am really not. <laughs> and the whole time, back of my head is just ringing. Just, woo, 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 woo. Uh, if you get punched in the back of the head and if you don't expect it, man, that's uh well, I know I expected it, but it was just so many blows from. But it wasn't his punch; it was the phone receiver because he that was the only spot he was, was vulnerable. He was hitting my hand and in the side of my head, which I mean, no damage. I mean, I probably had a concussion for a little while, but yet I survived. I stood there. I stood there. I'm not. I stood there. I don't care. Beat me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna run. Right. And so he was like, "This man ain't here for this bullshit." And he said, "You know, you alright, man?" And I was like, "I'm good." He was like, yeah, this man here here for that. He said, you gonna lay down, man. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you ain't gonna tell me what to do. You know, now I got a problem with the fact that first you had to get this dude off of me. Now, if I listen to you, now what is that gonna make me to you? I'm not gonna be your bitch. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be, owe you. So, and I'm thinking all this because I'm seeing how that system in there runs. Right. And <laughs> so I stood there for a while and I kind of watched television while they went on back and like doing their stuff. And I stood there for at least long enough to let them know I'm not running off to go lay down because you told me to. So, but then I did turn around. I had to walk upstairs because they had three tiers in this place. And I was on the second tier. And I walk up to the second tier and I go into my little room and I get out of the bed. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Ugh, my head is killing me. I'm sore on my back, but I was all right. And that's when I started thinking, I got to make me, I got to make me something, a tool. I have to make something so when he comes back for revenge because that happens, I gotta be ready, you know. And in my mind, I'm thinking, so yeah, it was, it was. I had that is. I had a couple of incidents where they became physical. Yet it was like I said, it's just this protection that's been around who I am and and I and I hold existence since I've been alive, man. Because through prison. With everything that went on, I ended up being in a position where I was helping to educate a lot of brothers up in there. Because even KG, he couldn't read or write. I came to find out. And when they shipped, they shipped him out of there, not because of that incident, but because they just shipped him out of there. They sent him up to a penitentiary facility up in northern Mississippi, because we were down near the coast. So I was there in that facility in Harrison County for maybe another month or two. And they told me to pack my stuff. They were sending me somewhere. And when they sent me away, they sent me to Greenville, Mississippi, I believe, for the first stop. They sent me about five different places because I talked a lot and 
I read a lot. And I didn't talk a lot like talking back and talking to people. I talked to the guards about what they were doing was wrong or either out of line because they give you a rule book when you get locked up. They give you a book of rules, like a, like a, like a Bible, what they call your Bible of what to do and you can't do. So I read mine. A lot of guys didn't read them. They used them for whatever other means. I read mine. And I found out in there that they, the guards and the, the, um, the COs there, by they had protocol they had to follow as well in the treatment of us. And federal information, because they were all, you know, being subsidized by some federal agency. So I started gaining all this knowledge. So I became the professor, you know. People thought I was smart, you know, and started saying, oh, you don't talk like rest of us, you know, you, you got to educate, oh, you, you smart, huh? you like a professor. So they started calling me professor, you know, and, and roster man. And so in that, I was educating these, these brothers in there, you know, from all different organizations, black, white, Latino, it didn't matter. I'm neutral. I was like Switzerland at that time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. They told, me, they told people that, you know, hey, after that incident, um, like I said, people started recognizing I'm not there to cause no trouble. I don't belong to no faction, no organization. I'm going to do my time and get out. I had mandatory time because by the time I went upstate, I had like three more years almost left and to the first facility. But when I walked into the facility and they took me to my zone, they opened up, they popped the door. The first person I saw coming down the stairs in my new zone was KG. Oh, wow. It's KG, the same guy who I had the altercation with almost a year ago at Harrison County. So I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. I walk in and he's like, hey, who greets me with open arms? Now all of a sudden, he told everybody there, you don't mess with this man. I mean, he used profound words, but told me nobody mess with him, he's with me. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm not, <laughs> you know. But yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, I'm not. But I didn't tell him, you know. I'm trying to see what's up, you know. And so he walked in, he said, you can come and you can bunk with me because they gave me a mat to sleep out in the day room on the floor because they were out of cell room. I mean, room in the cell. Because they really were overhoused in that facility, and like many of them. Um, like cattle. Because each inmate that's locked up, the government subsidizes and gives whichever county or whichever organization or, or, or company has that facility or owns that facility, gives them so much in subsidies and, 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 and money. And so for each one of us, they got, I think it was $47,000 a head. Oh, wow. Per year to take care of us, but went nowhere. Um, but I get up in there and KG is the first person that comes down. And so he invites me to come stay in his room and he kicks the dude who was in his room out. <laughs> I mean, literally tells him, get your stuff and get out. And the guy gets his stuff and gets out. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to be locked up in this one room because when you go at night, they break in your room, they can lock the doors, you know, and you're just locked in there. And so I'll be in this room with this this 19-year-old serving 99 years in a day. So he killed somebody um, or something? or Yeah, he did a whole lot of stuff from what I understand. Um, I think it was he killed, he killed his girlfriend, but also killed a dude that she was messing with or he thought she was messing with. And so, yeah, and then he, he was just a career criminal anyway at 19. Just one scary yeah, dude. Career. One scary yeah, dude to scared, be in a cell with. But that's the thing, I'm telling my brother Dick, the penitentiary taught that people are people, just like I've known. But then you think these are different people? No, they're not. No, they're not. 
they still have feelings, they still have emotions, they still have aspirations, they still have dreams, they still like different things, they're still creative, they're still, you know, family people, there's all these things that the world seems to label certain individuals as not being worthy of having the capacity for. Yeah, they did. I'm not saying that some of those individuals needed to be there. <laughs> I met some that I was like, brother, in my mind, I'm like, please don't ever let this man out. Ever, 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 ever. Because he has no business walking among civilization. No, no, no. Why is he still alive? Gee. And it's not because of what they did. It's just that who they are. And I'm like, you need to be in, in solitary. You need to be in the hole all day, every day. <laughs> your last day. Serious. There's some there were some real animals up in there, man. And they call them gorillas. Uh when I was up in there. You know, some real gorillas, but yet I met some of the most talented, creative I mean you become creative being locked up. You are just geniuses up in there who manufacture, fabricate and create objects and items to survive with. Everything from cups and bowls to using a wall socket to light a cigarette, which is probably you would think would be one of the most dangerous things to do. <laughs> but they devise ways of actually doing I mean, just, just ingenious some of the things that they do and, and come up with. Like this, this cross I'm wearing, it's woven, is actually made out of garbage cans, garbage can bags. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that type of thing, you know, I mean, and just watching the artistry and this the mindset, the poetry and things from individuals of, in there who, go ahead. A, a lot of books were written in prison too. Yeah, written, read, and, and, and everything, man. Prison is a place where honestly, they let you know, I mean, the convicts, the inmates, everybody will let you know. You're going to leave out of here one way or the other. You ain't going to be the same person when you leave out. Either you're going to be better or worse, one of the two. Right. You're not going to be the same at all. It's like life itself. Yeah, any other day. But in there, truly, you'll come out being a better individual or a worse individual. What would you say the ratio is in your estimate? I, I really, honestly, I couldn't estimate. Because in the time and being in there, I've seen both. I've seen individuals where I'm sitting in there watching them get out. And before I could get out, they're back in. And I've seen individuals who have gotten out and have gone on and, and done great things for their life, in their life, and for others, you know. So, honestly, I'd say the ratio is probably more good than bad. I'll put, I'm going to honestly put that out there. And because I've taken no real stats yet from the people, even the individuals I've met in life and on the journey um, that are in positions and you talk to them and then they choose to share. Yeah, I was locked up once, you know. I did 10 years, I did 7 years, I did 22, 22 years. And I'm not even surprised and shocked right. because I realized that, yeah, what we do is not who we are and what we've done does not dictate what we will do. No. So, so having individuals say, you know, yeah, I did so many years locked down and then I, you know, now I'm the head of a corporation or now I have a family and a steady job and I'm happy. And yeah, I, I get that. I get it. I get it. Even when I was in there, I got it. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I saw the potential in a lot of people just as I knew who I was the whole time I was in there. I never felt like I should have to adapt. And for a minute there, I thought, no, nah, let me 
go ahead and be something. Now, the only time I would put on a front, I used to meditate. That's when I really started learning how to meditate, truly. Because I would do that to give the impression that I was this whole, because they did at first, everybody thought I was this whole different type of dude. And so I was, I was taking actions physically, you know, that would give them that impression that, oh yeah, I would meditate. I started doing Tai Chi in the yard, you know, or, you know, just walking in a different light. Not one like I'm locked down so everybody better watch out or either I need to watch out. Nope, I'm not worried about any of it. Because the only thing you can do is what, kill me. And I'm going to die anyway. One day I'm going to die anyway. And if I'm just how I'm just going to go, then that's it. And I, I don't know if that philosophy made them think, well, leave him alone or he's crazy or what. But yet I ended up in a position to where I, I gained respect. Hmm. And because I respected all of them. I don't care what you did or how people think about you. I'm not going to do that because I just met you. And so far you haven't, you didn't kill me. You know, you didn't set me on fire. <laughs> you know, you didn't, you know, and I'm really, I, mean, I had to really look at individuals like that and realize that's how people, that's how people take people or at least should. I believe they should is meet someone where they are right then in your life. And you don't judge them based on where they've been, yeah. no matter whether it's, whether it's prestigious or whether it's, you know, prison, you can't, you shouldn't, because that's something that they did or went through and not who they are. And, and I knew that about myself as well. I'm like, I know I'm in prison. I know the impression of a lot of people on the outside and even, you know, the guards and even the inmates here and, and the convicts may be under the impression that this is who I am because I'm in here. I'm a, I'm a convict. I'm a, I'm a criminal. No, 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 I'm not. I am Octavius, I'm a musician, I, I'm a, I talk, and I'm creative, and I'm full of peace and love. And even then, I was full of that spirit. And I walked around like that. And I had people tell me, even when I had to go get my psych eval, my psych eval, when you get locked up, you go to different facilities, they send you to you know, psychological evaluation and stuff. And they did my psych eval. Every psych asked, why are you locked? Why are you in here? How did you, how did you end up in prison? Because they, they looked at my record and they looked at him, all the information they and doing the interview. Had, like, it doesn't make sense that you're here. And I said, because I made a dumb choice. I made a, I made a decision that got me locked up. And I know that. I'm not crying about it. I'm not sorry for it. You know, I wouldn't have done it. You know, in hindsight, I, it's something I shouldn't have done. But since I did, okay, it's a part of who I am now. And so I It's a very stoic attitude. Well, I, and I had yeah. to be. I mean, I was raised kind of stories. Like, my father was kind of like, you know, there ain't no sense in crying about spilled milk. He'd always ask, you know, when I'd say, Dad, this happened, you know, he'd say, well, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Now that that's happened, now what are you going to do? Right. Because that's happened. He tell me, that's already happened. You can't do nothing about it. It's done. So now what are you going to do? And even when I got locked up, before I even went to prison, before I even went, went to trial, um, when I was locked up, when they arrested me, I was like, well, I have a little cash in the bank, and but I couldn't get to it. And I called my dad, and I asked him, I said, Dad, hey, you know, I told him I got him locked up, and asked him if he could bail me out, and i pay him, you know. But I got out, and he was like, locked up? And he was like, 
And the only thing he said was, well, it's, ah. his words, I remember it was, because I called my mother after that, because they were separated at that point, but I called him and he was like, well, man, he said, well, now you got to figure it out. And I did. I figured it out, and I figured I'd call you and and have you bail me out. And he was like, "Man, you got yourself in. You got to get yourself out." And I was like, "What? You're my parent, you know." And and because all the movies and so people call the mom and dad, and most times like they bail them out, the parents pissed off and upset. But you get the child out of jail. Not my parents. Nope. So my dad was like, "I was like, you know what? Fine." So I called my mom. And I called my mother and I told her circumstance. She said, see, I told you about hanging out with those type of people. And I was like, I ain't even told you anything yet. I'm just locked up, bailed me out. And she was like, she said, baby, I can't help you. And I was like, wow, screw both of you. And so that's when I had to sit there. I sat for like nine months, nine and a half months. And finally had a friend that, after going to bail hearings and getting it lowered, Cause they, my bill was set like quarter of a million dollars. Whoa. And yeah, then they hacked it and I'm like, eh, it's still too much. And so I ended up getting it lowered down because a friend knew this bail bombing. And, uh, so he, uh, he bailed me out for 1200. That was my end. It was still at 120,000, but I couldn't get the money. So my friend, I called her up with his ex-girlfriend and I still knew her number. And I called her up and asked if she could get a, um, get a power of attorney and bail me out. Power of attorney for my bank and stuff so she could get the money in. And so she did that and I called her and asked her to do that and she got the power of attorney and she came to see me and then I didn't hear from her. <laughs> oh man. I was like, oh no, did you take my money again? And so I sat there for weeks and I was like, then I got a call and they were like, hey, right, pack this stuff, you're out of here. I was like, finally, and she finally came through. Oh. After she did whatever she did, it was her adventure. And um, so she came back and got me out of there. But just like less than a month after that, because I was told it might be years before we had to hear your case. We're so backed up. You know, that's what the convicts were saying inside and people kind of saying. And yeah, I wasn't on the, I wasn't on the street a month and that guy had to go to court. And that's when they gave me the other three years. They gave me three years. Oh, which was the minimum, which was a blessing okay. because the DA wanted to give me 49 years. Whoa. And yeah, whoa. And I was like, there's no way in hell. <laughs> no. Dude, I had an escape plan and everything, but I was, I was going to either go to, uh, I was going to, to Brazil or Jamaica mm. or um, Costa Rica. Those are the three spots that were pegged. I wanted to be tropical. I wanted to be festive. And not, not Brazil, but um, Argentina. Okay. Argentina. Argentina is um, supposed to be really nice. Yeah. And also, yeah. it's really bad, too, but it's really nice. But beautiful I, I knew. There too. Yeah, all of that. I was looking. That's my thing. I'm going where there's beautiful women, there's beaches and sunshine. And I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out something. I'll do something. I'll play music. I know I can get that. It's nothing else. I have other skills, too. But I know. And that was my plan. And when... um. I was able to get this young lawyer, because every other lawyer I spoke to was trying to just gouge me with far how much they were charging. Trying to take property and all this stuff. And I didn't have much property or something. I was just, I was allowancing in, in casinos and stuff. And I had this condo and I was doing okay, but 
I wasn't trying to pay out of my teeth everything for this lawyer who could possibly maybe. And so he well, had one lawyer refer me to this young kid who had just been out of law school and gotten his bar like maybe a year ago. So I called this dude up, man, and he was a young cat. I mean, he was younger than I was, and he wasn't that young. He was probably 30, 31. And he ended up talking to the DA and talking to the judge and came back with this plea. He said, you can plea out. And I'm like, okay, explain this. He said, that means um, there's no trial. Because even the guys who I was holding up for were with the DA. They were going to testify against that, even though they was their thing. So, and plus, I was older than these young cats. So I was actually, at that point, the courts were deeming me a kingpin, the ringleader, all these terms of power that wasn't true. So anyway. Wow. Um, so the lawyer ended up talking with the judge and stuff, and the DA, the DA was just saying, no, we go through, we're going all the way. 49, I had five charges that they were trying to get me on. And the five charges and the sentencing of all those, if they could have got it through, I would have done it probably somewhere in the ballpark of 49 years. My God. Yeah, my God. And I was like, that's why I was making plans to leave the country. I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't care. I'll figure it out, but I'm not going to prison for 50 years. And so the lawyer talked to the judge and said, we've got to thing on table, plea. If you take a single charge, it was an armed robbery charge. So if you take the armed robbery charge like the rest of the guys, you don't have to go to trial with them. You can try you separately, but you take that charge, we might be able to work something. Because with all those other charges, even if two of them or three of them don't carry much, you still have, you know, still you're gambling. That, you know, so I was like, man, and I just, that's when really I started realizing that having those moments of silence and meditation, even though I realized that's what I was doing, to really see what am I supposed to do here? Because I know there's a punishment coming. I know it. And I deserve it. Yet I'm not that guy. I don't just, you know, and so I told my lawyer, my, actually my lawyer was the one who recommended Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> and when he said that, I was like, dude. When your lawyer comes up with suggestions for your ex- escape, plan. escape plan, yeah, 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 it's like what? <laughs> only he said, "I'm only." He said, "Only because you're taking a plea, and if you take a plea, it's totally up to the judge." DA's information, all yes, but then it so is yours for me. But he said, "But yeah, the judge takes things into account, and he figures it out and what he wants to do." He said, "You're talking to the judge and with your appearance and all." I think you should take the plea. He said, the judge seems kind of favorable, but I don't know how much. Rather than 49, he'd give you, you know, 40, you know, or 30, you know. And I'm like, Argh. So we kind of had on hesitation. Then the DA came back in with another offer. They came with an offer. They were like, okay, we could just, um, if we go ahead and he pleads guilty, and we will... We'll bring the charge down to, we'll recommend 15 years with seven to serve and eight on probation. I was like, no, 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 no. And my lawyer was like, mm. I was like, man, still, that's their recommendation. I mean, still, we're looking at 49 years and all this stuff. So they went back. They didn't like the fact that I turned down their very generous offer. So they got pissed. But they came back with another offer 
of, I'm not mistaken, it was 11 years, served seven, four. For some reason, they wanted me to serve seven years because I was going along on the armed robbery charge. And armed robbery carries um, a minimum of four, maximum of life. And so they felt they were doing a favor. And I guess if I was a career criminal or just some dude who knew that I just wasn't worthy or I just didn't have potential or so I don't know, I may have taken either one of those plea, those offers. But yet I was like, something says to just go with the judge. And so when we got to court, the judge asked, you know, blah, blah, he read down all the information. And he says, okay, we're standing here now. He says, we have a jury assembled and they're waiting out in the um, something in the room. Uh, but now we're here to hear your plea. If you wish to um, go to trial or take the plea and explain and going to trial, blah, 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 it's be jubilee, blah, blah. And then he said also, but taking that plea, I am totally, it's, it's, it's up to, to my jurisdiction. And, and I'm like, okay. So what do you wish to do, Mr. Wright? And I stood there. And I, and I, 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 had, I had a friend, this other friend of mine, this, this girl I had dated at one time. We're kind of seeing before I got locked up. When I got out for that month or so, I knew her before I went in, but when I got out for that month or so, she was kind of around and, you know, we kind of, we, she was something I was messing around with. And I told her, I'm going to court on this date and told her when and said, if you would come to court and just come and sit there, close the back, and I'm gonna, I may take a plea. If I take the plea and they give me anything more than eight years, I figured eight, eight's my number, I'm a, I'll take eight from the judge. So I do eight. None of this probation, all this, do 15 dollars. I'll do eight years. I really don't want to, matter of fact, anything more, if he says anything more than eight years, eight years or more, I'm running out of here because I could I could have gotten out of that Mississippi courtroom. I don't know how far I would have gotten on foot or whatever, but I could have gotten out and ran out of there and jumped out the second floor window because I was on the fourth floor, but I could have gotten to the second floor and got out the window. And I told this friend of mine, Carrie, I said, just when they say, whatever they say the sentence is, if it's more than the seven years, or eight years, I want you to get up screaming and run out. I was like, oh my God, all right, crying. Run down and get in the car because I'll be there. I have this secret. I said, when I come down out of there, I'm going to take your car from you and I'll leave it somewhere. And we had to spot everything. I said, but I'm going to come down and I'm going to hijack your car. <laughs> he said, okay. So she showed up in court. I'm in court, serious. And judge was like outside and he said, you take the plea order. And my lawyer looks at me and I look at him. And just something was like, I said, I'll take the plea, Your Honor. And I said it just, just as, I'll take the plea, Your Honor. And I stood at parade rest and just with my hands behind my back like I was in the military. I just stood there, chest up and out, my chin up. Because I knew, I did, I, you know, I lied and I did all the things I did. And I was harboring a fugitive, all these things. I did all that. I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm man enough to stand up. And the judge looked at me and he looked down at the docket and he's, in the case of blah, 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 I'm like, oh my gosh. He starts reading the whole thing off. And I'm standing there, just standing with him. He goes, in the matter concerning, I'll tell you, I get to stay in Mississippi, blah, blah, case number. 
I hereby remand you to the custody of the Mississippi Department of Correction to serve a term of, and then he stopped talking. Those are some very long seconds, I bet. Oh my gosh, I was like, ah, but I didn't move, I didn't flinch. He said for a period, he goes, wait, Wait a minute, it looks like here you've already served uh, nine months and 22 days. I think it was nine months and 22 days. Um, so I'll send you to, uh, and he kept pausing and flubbing papers. And I'm like, oh man, if you don't. Now the judge was known as Tenure Terry. That was his moniker. Tenure Terry? His, last, his name was Judge O. Period Terry. He was known as Tenure Terry. Because everyone in the history of his going to his courtroom, as far as people knew, and what the rumors on the street, where if you appeared before Judge Terry, you're getting no less than ten years. And being in his court was a mistake because on information I got from the courts when I was out, when I was supposed to appear, said I was supposed to appear in front of Judge Thomas. So I was in Judge Thomas's chambers for the longest before I realized I'm supposed to be next door in Judge Terry. So anyway, I'm standing in front of him, and he's hesitating. He goes, a period of, and he said, okay, you split nine months. He goes, okay, I'll give you credit. And he said, well, you appear four years in the Department of Corrections. He says, and you'll give you credit for the nine months and 22 days you've done already with these, with the county. So I had to do three years and three months um, in state custody. And with that, my friend Carrie, she was in there. She started crying, and I kind of turned around like, I'm not, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> like, I, I, okay, I don't want to do any of it. But yet, even that nine and a half month experience, let I know that I could do this. Because that nine months was kind of, well, for somebody who had never done time, been locked up or anything. And I was in my mid to late 30s. I was going, on, yeah, I was even going, yeah. So I'm like, man, I was 35, 30, almost, I, I, my 35th birthday was in, was locked up. Cause I got, I was locked up November 20, right before Thanksgiving, I remember that. Cause I spent Thanksgiving in there. And my birthday was in December. So yeah, I was locked up for my 35th birthday and stayed in the county facilities for about another seven months because I get sent to a trustee center, which the trustee center is very, very, very nice because you're not in a prison per se. You're locked up, but you're more in a facility where there's bunk beds and there's a game room and there's vending machines and a weight room and you got a volleyball court and a basketball court and it's all with wooden picket fences that go about eight feet high. So basically, yeah, you're trusted not to leave. Okay. But while you're there, you get to work, you know, at county and state facilities. Like you can go painting the schools, you know, helping repave the roads. You know, even when the when the state fair came to town, I was able to work the state fair, you know. Oh wow. Which means I'm out there amongst people. And then you see people you know and people come up and they bring you stuff and you're not supposed to take it. But, you know, some of the guards were cool to where you could take it as long as nothing illegal. And so I'll be able to get, you know, stuff that you couldn't get up in there, which 
wasn't hard to do because you could get stuff up in there. People could come visit you and bring you sacks of food or your favorite candies and cookies and, and <laughs> whatever. So it was really a cool place to be. And then because I had technically a violent charge, my crime my crime was considered a violent charge, I wasn't supposed to be at that facility because everybody there was like misdemeanors. Right. But yet, I, somebody who knew somebody, you know, pulled some strings and got me there. Because they knew, you don't need to go to prison, prison. And I'm like, no, I don't. But somebody found out and didn't like me because I was one who spoke up. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't an attitude, but wrong is wrong. And I would call these, you know, officers especially, because I worked in where, I worked in a facility where um, the trustee camp, I worked in the garage where all the cars came in, the, the county cars and um, mostly police cruisers, the vans, the, we worked on all, they worked on all county vehicles, a lot of the inmates were mechanics. I worked on the police vehicles and the helicopters and airplanes and things like and the boats, putting uh-huh. in electronics. I installed electronics because I had an electronic background. So they, they loved having me there. I, I always trusted to be there. So myself and this other um, inmate named Billy, uh, we worked in the sheriff's office as the installers. So all the, all the undercover, all the black and whites, every vehicle that was a police vehicle of some sort, whether it flew, floated, or, driv- or driven, we did the work on. Motorcycles, everything. Putting in lights, cameras, radios, all this. So it granted a lot of privileges. Um, even when the drug, when they put over somebody like that and they have these buses or trucks and stuff packed down with different drugs, Billy and I were called out to to tear down the vehicles to find it. Because okay. the dogs would alert on it. They'd bring it back and have these people in custody. We got called out when it was the middle of the night, the afternoon. We were the ones who came in with sawzalls and drills and were able to rip these vehicles apart and pull out all these drug stashes, which that's a whole nother story, man. It was just so dirty. But yeah, so I enjoyed my time there for a long time, man. And well, at least like I said, for those seven to nine months and then somebody got wind at my charge. They looked at the records and saw my charge about it and that's when I got started getting sent to different facilities. Oh, excuse me. Um, and going to different facilities was, was crazy. It was crazy, but yet it was people. And it was people being themselves in the circumstances that they were in. And so prison was just a whole other, it was another community right. that had rules, laws, and they weren't set by the COs and the guards. They were set by the convicts. But what, the was, convicts, that, what was that the what? second place that was like really crazy? Uh, the second place was it was crazy only because the attitudes of everybody there was kind of like didn't give a f, you know. And and some were there. I mean, some people only had a few years. Some people had lights. Some people had double, triple lights. Some people were there because they stole something. Some people were there because they cut off people's heads. And wow. set the family on fire. I mean, it was that kind of mix. So, whew, yeah, that's it. Whoa, it was yeah, it was yeah. And but as I went from facility, they sent me to different facilities many times because whenever I got somewhere, like I said, I read the manual. And I I know what 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 our rights were. You know, even though yes, I know we're criminals. Yes, we did something wrong. You know, and yes, we should pay for it. But yet. You all are breaking your own rules, right. and I don't like that. You know, I just even when I was in the military, 
one of the reasons I got out was because you all have these rules in place, but then only some people have to follow them? No. That's not right. Either everybody or nobody. So I was on that tip. So I became um, trouble, basically. I became basically, they called me, oh man, they tried to, they tried to catch me, give me new charges while I was locked up. I'm in prison and they're trying to recharge me with stuff. Not recharge, but give me new charges. Like um, at one point they tried, to, they tried to charge me with inciting a riot. Uh, because I was giving information to these, these locked up gentlemen about their rights. You know, you don't have, they, they have no right to take away your meal privileges. You know, they have to feed you at least. They have to give you, you know, proper hygiene. They have to, and all just little things like that, that some of the guys would be just, they tell them, you know, you back on your rack, you're not going to eat. And the guys would get upset and they curse them out, but then they would go to their rack and they, Figured I just have to go hungry this meal. And I'm like, you can't do that. And the guards would get upset and tell me that I'm, you know, inciting riots because people would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or either when they would come to my rack, you know, my bed, they'd gather, I'd just give them information about, you know, this is what's going on. So then they would say I was having unlawful assemblies. They tried to charge me with uh, practicing law without a license because I was giving legal advice. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, man, just anything, anything to just mess with you if they realize, uh-oh. And so, yeah, I became I became a problem child in a sense because I was waking up some of these people to the reality of, okay, yeah, you're locked up. Yeah, you deserve to be. But you, the only reason you're going to change or be able to see change in yourself is if they start treating you with some respect. And you got to treat yourself with respect, and that means realizing when they're disrespecting you. So we're and no. you do. Yeah. We're now kind of full circle because you're now waking people up in the street to their potential and to their, uh, you know, yeah, to their inner goodness. Yes. And you were, you were doing that in jail too. And that's, what, that's why I say in retrospect and hindsight, I realized God's had I'm doing that the whole time I've been around, really. And, but yet now doing it consciously and with direction and focus and purpose, um, I'm seeing, or at least I'm able to witness more positive results. Yeah. Because, you know, then I was just saying what I felt was need to be said, and not because I'm being nice, but because you need to hear this because it's important to your existence, but not realizing that I'm planting a seed and help, help that individual to cultivate that plant that you just planted, you know, that seed right. you planted rather than just give them this stuff and they can take and do what they want it with it without anything to, to bounce back and forth with. So that's why it came, it came to change. Even with Vibe Irie, when I was you know, singing these songs that I had written or expressing myself, people started feeling it. And I'm like, ah. people seem to listen to what I'm saying, even if I think I'm just babbling and talking. So therefore I have to be conscious of what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm not just babbling and talking. I'm actually giving something. I'm planting a seed. I'm, providing an enlightenment or an enrichment or an uplifting moment in that person's life because it, it, it's important because it may be that one thing that allows them to become who they're supposed to be. It's beautiful. And man. so, yeah. no, really, it really is. And babbling now, I don't in Babylon. Say <laughs> babbling in Babylon. That's what we're doing here, man. It's, um, it's just, I, I just had a place in, in, in our life and also realized there's this time in, in the world's existence once again for that awareness 
for that consciousness. And so, so that way, well, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Um, I so that way that as things continue to happen in the world as they do, and man does what it does, there's the counterbalance to the, to the negativity and all the harshness and the cruelty, the yeah. counterbalance of that love and that, that respect. And then that has to always be there. And I just know and believe that I am one of the messengers for that. So therefore, I'm conscious of what I say and how I act. Not that I'm acting false and phony, but yet I know, I realize, I can either go off or I can address this with kindness. Yeah. And so I choose kindness. Oh, and I choose good. love. I choose love every time. That's, uh, that's mean a beautiful I won't punch thing. you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mean you won't get punched in the face if you deserve it. <laughs> and and it won't, it'll be with love, though. I won't punch you out of anger. Trust <laughs> I won't punch anyone. I will not do anything physical to anyone out of anger. I refuse to. I've learned to not allow that emotion of anger or jealousy or mad or, or pissedness to cause a reaction that would be a negative reaction. And I believe hitting someone or hurting someone in any way because you're hurt or out of, out of a place of malice and, 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 and negativity, yeah, then that's just wrong. That's just out of line and wrong and can be avoided. Yeah. And those who can't, then they will perish. They'll have to deal with it because it's going to hurt them. It come oh, back yeah. to it'll come back to you. Like it always does. Uh, it, it really, really does. Even KG, the gentleman I was talking about when I was locked up, going to his room, everything was cool, and it got to the point to where all he was trying to be all mean and harsh to lie. It came back to where in the room with him, I've been there with him for a few months at that point, and he got mail. He got what? And that he got mail. A mail call, you know, like got a letter. He got a letter. Yeah. And that's when I learned that KG couldn't read. Because he got this letter and asked that I read it. And I'm like, man, that's your business. You know, that's from your girl. You know, I don't want to, you know, get him. He's like, I don't mind. I'm like, yeah, but I just don't want to. He's like, man, go ahead and read it for me. And when he said it, he didn't say I can't read or I'm pleased. He was still trying to be, you know, tough. But when he said, come on, man, just read it. I realized this dude can't read it himself. Because when I started reading it, he was like, read it out loud, man. Sure, read it out loud. Like, yeah, come on, let me hear it. And I knew, no, you want to hear it because you really want to hear it. And that's truly one of those moments that define how I was to treat people and to view people and to respect others. Because Bob Marley said once, you know, even the biggest man was once a baby, you know. The sure. biggest, baddest, strongest, most powerful man in the world once was a baby. Couldn't do anything for himself, crapped his diaper. So yeah, I get it. I realize, yes, your name's on the building. Yes, I realize you're on the letterhead. Yes, I know this is your company or, or you're big and bad. Yes, I know you're worth millions of dollars. Yes, I know you can kick my ass. But you were once a baby too, just like I was. So yes. I don't, I'm not. I'm not afraid of you, and you can't intimidate me with any of that power you think you have, because I know you once crapped your pants. <laughs> so, and on that yeah. note, I think uh, it's time to uh, to start wrapping this up. I mean, we've been. Oh, talking. I know, man. I got to go on. I'm babbling no. in Babylon. Hashtag babbling in Babylon. We're gonna do this some more. Oh, it's it's all good. We've been talking for two and a half hours. I love it. 
If there's uh, one thing you could say to my audience, anything, what would you, what would your message be? Message, honestly, it just came after everything I've said, and if those who hear this and have listened, I mean, there's so much more to everyone's life and story, and I just wish to say that realize truly who you are, and be that, the, the core of who you are, not what you've become because of what you've been through, but who you really are, and fulfill that destiny. Whether it's to build a mega company or to cross the Serengeti, you know, on a camel, just be that person that strives towards being someone who gives something to someone else, you know. My, my, my whole mantra, the whole statement that defines everything that I'm about and what I'm doing is to give love, to receive love, to be love, because it's one love. It truly is one love. And all my adventures and travels, everywhere I've been, I've become one with whoever it was there and wherever I was. So it shows the possibility of being one, as so many say and claim to wish to be. You be that one. You be love. You give love. You receive love. You be love. You be the one love. And others will follow. Uh, you'll find your kind. So just one love. That's what I say. One love. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming here. Thank you, brother Dick. Everyone out there who listens to this or hears this, God bless each and every one of you. And I just want you to know, and I'm not ashamed to say, I love Dick. <laughs> <laughs> where, where can people uh, find your page and your uh, Facebook and your everything? And then... uh, Facebook. You can Facebook the man Octavius Wright on Facebook. And you'll see a picture. Just look for the white bearded Rasta. That's Octavius Wright on Facebook. Um, also, Instagram, Octavius underscore I-N-I underscore Rasta, R-A-S-T-A. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Octavius. And um, also, uh, we have the website, Positive Vibes, Positive, V-I-B-E-Z Vibes, Rhythm. Dot com, PositiveVibesRhythm.com and from there you can reach everything else and even on the other sites you can reach all the connection to the rest of my website and, and pages um, because we're on a positive movement and I am one of the messengers and carriers of the message for positivity and I just thank and bless you all for just paying attention to this old man and what I have been destined to say and to do and to, and to, and to, and to Give. Right. Well, so, uh, you yeah. can uh, you can find all those links in the show notes too, so you can click on it. I'll put it on the website, so it's easy for people to find. Well, thanks Excellent. again, man. Yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you again, my brother. I I thank really you, really brother. enjoyed this. It's uh, it was. I awesome. enjoyed this as well. This was just a really it was really very. I appreciate. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Oh yeah, please let's do it again. This sometime. is part of it. Yeah, yeah. it's a regular thing because the more we get in this doubt of just self, one love, man and give that respect, it's gonna be such a beautiful existence. We're not trying to change the world, at least I'm not trying to change the world. I wish to enlighten spirits. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you're doing it, man. You're, you're a beautiful man, you're a beautiful person. It's, uh, I appreciate you're, you, You're man. good I for this world. Well, thank you for saying so, I appreciate you, man. Octavius, everybody. All right, thank you all, well love. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Thanks again for alert, download alert 
for iOS in the iOS App Store. Look for it, alert spelled A-L-L-E-R-T for food allergies. Also use the code word POLARIZED, that's P-O-L-A-R-I-Z-E-R on onit.com to get up to 10% off of all supplements. And if you go to thepolarizer.com, I suggest you subscribe to the newsletter so you never miss an episode again. Every time a new episode drops, I'll send out an email and um, that way you'll never have to miss one ever. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. We're on all channels, including Spotify, so you can find everything there. And go to thepolarizer.com to find photography and articles and background information and all the links to all the podcasts. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you again in the future. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you all. Tot ziens. Thanks a lot.
you know, and don't get yourself in no trouble, you know, no problem. Because if you do that, Johnny Law will come get you. And when Johnny Law gets you, you know, he'll take you away to the penitentiary, which is not a nice place to be. And then hear Rude Boy cry. This is how Rude Boy cry when they got it, alright? Let's say.